0: Slayer bells ring, are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight, we're happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland, gone away.
1: All right, everybody, welcome back to the Just in the Suffering Podcast featuring New York sports talk and long-suffering fan. Your host, Mike Phillips, here Here for the holiday special year number four. Got some good stuff teed up here, and I want you to, once again, just go on for the ride, see a lot of fun. we we'll start off the show here. We're going to toss it back to my favorite episodes of the year, when I feel like I kind of lost the shuffle based on when it was released because you had the NFL playoffs going on. You had a lot of stuff going on with the NFL football teams. We're going to have a throwback here to our interview with Nick Davis. The director of the Thirty for Thirty on the nineteen eighty six Mets one spot a time in Queens. Let's go listen back to that right after this. All right, I am back here on the podcast talking Thirty for Thirty once a pie in time in Queens. Very happy today to be joined by the director of the four part documentary. Nick Davis is on the line. Nick, how are you? I'm good, Mike. Thanks having me well, i think you're coming on because i gotta say i talked about this a couple of weeks ago with the co editor of my website john copping you were talking about it. we tagged you on twitter and you just had some fun talking to you about it and said this sort of happened organically
2: yeah yeah i mean it's been really fun you know uh you know you make these things and you spend a long time just with your own people and your own thoughts and team and stuff so it's been really fun to get out there with it and talk to people and see what they're enjoying or not enjoying or missing and, uh, you know, try and, uh, answer questions about why things ended up the way they did. Yeah. And obviously well, I will start out here. Cause
1: obviously you're a big Met fan. You were around for that 80, 60. What was your experience like with that team? Obviously that was before I was
2: born. So I missed out on all that. That was the greatest fan experience <laughs> that I will ever have in my life. Um, I was, uh, I was 12 in 1977. Um, so, you know, you can do the math and, and from that low moment of June 15th, 1977, you just felt like I, this is it. I mean, siever has gone. The franchise is in the toilet as it happens. the city is in the toilet as well. Um, and I don't know how we're ever going to get back from this. And so to watch over the years, as that team was put together, you know, piece by piece, it was just tremendously exciting and, and by 84. Uh, it was, you know, when it was really first sort of believed, um, it was just tremendously exciting. And, and I remember being in a game in August of 85, uh, you know, and it, Gooden was pitching against the Expos and he was mowing them down and the place, Shea Stadium was rocking and I had never experienced anything like this. And as a Met fan, uh, you know, you, you, well, as any fan, you wait for that team, that historically great team. Uh, in, in my case, I had always read The Boys of Summer and thought, what, what would it be like to have been a fan of those great Brooklyn Dodger teams? And now all of a sudden it was happening. And I remember saying to myself in the stadium, Remember this. Remember this. It's not going to happen again. And, um, you know, in fact, it, 84, 85, and then 86, the, the crowning moment, it was, it was just unbelievably exciting. And so to be able to go back and tell that story was uh, just an absolute thrill. Yeah, for sure. And I always was curious about the how this project got started, because I assume
1: last year when it got announced in May of 2020, we assumed, oh, it's just a reaction to the last dance. But I understand you've been
2: working on this long before. So how did you get involved with this project? So I um, I first look, I've loved this team ever since it existed. And and, uh, you know, I was even in Hollywood in the 90s pitching a fictionalized version of the Goodfellas of baseball. Um, which was to be based on the 86 Mets that never got off the ground, and then in about 2010, um, after 30 for 30 got going, I read about some long form documentary that was going to do the 86 Mets story, and I was so angry, and I just felt like, why did I not make this happen? Um, and then I never heard anything about it. And in 2015, I started working on my last film was a PBS uh, American Masters about Ted Williams. And it was the first time, well, first time in about 20 years I'd worked on anything having to do with baseball, but I loved it. I loved Ted Williams um, or I came to love Ted Williams. And um, and the whole time I was working on that, I was asking Major League Baseball, with whom I was partnering on that film, Why has what happened in an 86 Mets project? Why hasn't it been done in the era of long form documentaries? And I was thinking more of the O.J. Simpson, you know, O.J. Made in America, the Ezra Edelman film, which is terrific. Like, why not do something that that does for that team? You know, gives it the time and space. It's an epic story of a team and a time and a place. Um, What happened to that? And, you know, I don't know what happened to that particular project, but I was able to get Major League Baseball to say, all right, let's do this Ted Williams thing, then we'll talk about that. So in 2018, when the Williams film was finished, I got serious with Major League Baseball, had preliminary meetings with various networks who told me, well, in order to do it, here's what you would need to do. They gave me a long laundry list of things I needed to do, including most crucially, they would say things like, you know, no offense, Nick, but you need an 800 pound gorilla. Um, and in my case, the 800 pound gorilla was Jimmy Kimmel, who through a crazy set of circumstances, we were able to bring on board as an executive producer. Um, so that by the time we were pitching networks in the fall of 2019, um, we were, we had it all. We had the Mets participation. We had major league baseball. We had a really good written treatment, a pitch and um, and Jimmy Kimmel uh, as the executive producer. So. Um, so that's sort of the genesis of the project. Yeah. I want to ask what the Mets involved
1: specifically, because I know this is a big part of their history. So what was the meeting like with the Mets when you went to them and said, Hey, we want to do this big long form story about your 86 championship team. Were they on board right away? Did they have hesitations what was the experience
2: with the Mets like? I, I think I got really lucky. I think there had been hesitations in the past. I think they're all the, the you know, scandals and, and you know, rapscallionish or nefarious, depending on how you feel about it. <laughs> behavior uh, was something the Mets didn't really want to touch um, for a long, long time. But they also recognized it's really important to the fan base and that story and that team. And if it was going to be done, they they didn't wanna try and whitewash it because we all knew the stories. So um, for whatever reason, and maybe it was because by the time I got there in the fall of 2019 or 2018, when I met with the Mets, um, the ownership change was brewing. I don't know, but there was, uh, there was nothing but, okay, I, this is the right team to do this, uh, let, let's do it. And with their participation, all it meant was They would say, you know, Jay Horowitz would would say would call a player and say, take this guy's phone call Um, and 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 but that's huge. You know, if Jay Horowitz is telling, you know, Daryl Strawberry or Keith or whoever, you know, pick up this guy's phone call. That means that that the team wanted it to happen. Um, But uh, I was really lucky and the timing worked out in so many wonderful ways.
1: Yeah, for sure. I remember reading when this came out, you said on Twitter, too, when you were live tweeting during the documentary, that the original vision of this story was you want to do a seven part series and it got cut to four. So like, was there any big stuff like the original vision? You said originally you wanted to do a whole episode on the 87 season, sort of the downfall of that team. So like any other big elements got cut from the
2: six hour plus version? Well, so there's two different things. First, I went to Major League Baseball and I said, let's do this in seven hours. And within about a day, they said, mm, the market won't bear seven hours. And, and so it was a market decision as much as anything else. Um, but I think it was wise. I, I think seven probably would have been too much. Um, then when I handed in the initial rough cut for the four hour version, which it's for commercial hours, so it's actually only three hours and 20 minutes or 21 minutes. They gave us an extra minute in episode four. Um, that was six hours and 25 minutes. And it, it, so much had to be cut uh, at that point to to get it down to size. And, um, you know, I, I don't think there was anything crucial. There were just lots of terrific stories. and. Lenny Dykstra telling a great story about going hunting with Kevin McReynolds, you know, and uh, you know, Ray Knight telling a fantastic story about stopping Daryl Strawberry and Gary Carter from having a fight on a team bus, you know, all kinds of just wonderful stories. But to service the complete story, the single story, um, nothing essential was was lost. Um, As a Met fan, uh, and a Met fan with a particular bent, I do wish I'd been able to get deeper into the ownership story because the ownership story during the summer of 1986 was fascinating. Um, but ultimately, we, you know, I, I think I felt like it's distracting and it's, it's confusing what happened between Wilpon and Doubleday that summer and takes a lot of real estate that is probably, you know, better used for, for stories of the team itself. Yeah, it
1: makes sense. And obviously this is a story everybody knows very well. It's been told a lot of different ways. A lot of different times it's like an hour special books, so on. Like, how did you want to sit out and say, how I make my version different
2: from what's already out there? What was the, your idea to try and separate yourself? I, I never thought that way. I, I just felt like, you know what? It's never been done as a four hour documentary. Yes. Perlman's book is fantastic. And, and Daryl and Doc is a terrific documentary about the two of them and where they are now. But nobody had ever said, we're gonna do the epic tale of New York City and how it fused and fell in love with this particular team in that time. And those players who embodied the city in a way that very few sports teams ever embody their, their, uh, their city. And so I never was too concerned about, well, and, and I knew that the chatter was, oh, we've heard this before. Well, no, you haven't. I mean, or, or maybe you've heard it or you've read it but you haven't felt it in a documentary. You haven't, you haven't lived it the way only a documentary film can. You may have read the books, you may have read the articles, but you haven't done this particular story this particular way. And um, so I wasn't overly concerned about all that, although I did know that, well, that's what people are gonna say when it comes out. Like, oh no, not this again. Um, and even the Mets, some of them had the, the feeling of like, why are we doing this again? But then I think very quickly, once we began, they all realized, oh, wait a minute, this actually hasn't been done before. Um, No one has done a a deep dive into this team in this way for this form, you know? Um, So, yeah. Yeah, I also know as you, I'm
1: glad you brought the city of New York itself, because I know that was the big thing stuck out to me was that you made an effort, I feel like, to make the city of New York itself like a character in the film, whether it was through like, stories of the team going around the city, stuff going on in the city in the late 70s, early 80s. I think that, that definitely felt like added to the whole aspect of this film made it feel like a more complete product. Having I mean, New York itself be a character in it.
2: Well, you couldn't be here then and not get that feeling. You know, it was not like a grafted on idea. It was and it came also from the players themselves. They were all talking about how it was such an exciting time to be in New York and and that they would go out and would be treated in (laughs) this incredible way and um and 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 the interviewees were all saying like the city and the team blended and they became one in a really um, you know it it doesn't happen often Um, and so uh it was it was sort of natural that this city and the become as you say like almost like a character it was so it was so present You know, it's present in all the shots. It's the present in, you know, one of my favorite shots in the film is that credible documentary shot of of, uh, the tracking shot of Mookie Wilson leaving the field and uh, after the ground ball that went through the first baseman's legs. And he's leaving the field and, and the cameraman is just tracking behind him and he's going into the dugout and the fans are going crazy. And the policemen are there clapping him on the back. And like that feeling of like being so embraced and embedded in the city was just it was sort of everywhere we looked um we interviewed kurt anderson who doesn't know anything about baseball i mean he freely admitted when i first contacted him he said i i, I can talk about the 80s but I, I in new york city i can't talk about the mets i i was hardly paying attention i was putting on a magazine and i said well that's fine maybe we won't use it and everything he said about the city was true of the mets so it was it was just a natural thing as we were making the film that it, it, it sort of told us, you know, when you're making a film, it can tell you what it is. And, and the film told us what it was.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I mentioned, you mentioned that Bookie Wilson like tracking shot where the cameraman falls into the dugout. Like obviously that's what I'd never seen before. I'm sure you had a lot of interesting sources of footage that didn't really get circulated widely publicly. I know you mentioned on Twitter that the 8060 family had a documentary crewmaker like director crew following them around and I find it crazy that like they had all that that never really got out in some big project before this
2: yeah I mean lots of it or not lots of it but they did use a you know some of it in the 86 Mets uh year in review which is this terrific film that every you know Mets fan got that uh winter for, for Christmas uh, a year to remember, but you know that was they only had an hour, and they were telling the the whole season's story. Um, they didn't go into the city, um, and and they they didn't use as much of it as as we were able to because we had more we had more time. Yeah, that's true. And I also loved like getting behind the scenes inside some of
1: like the ridiculous rap videos they were doing as a team. Where it was the get Mets Marais or Let's Go Mets Go like. It definitely was fun seeing behind the scenes some like of that. Part of me just wishes you could have found Joe Piscopo to get his commentary getting
2: a tackle in the dugout, but that would miss <laughs> something. Yes. Uh yeah, yeah. I think if we'd had a larger budget and maybe the six hour or seven hour version, we would have gone after Joe Piscopo.
1: Yeah. And in terms of the interviews, I know the one interview you mentioned that was actually like alluded to in the documents you tried to get but couldn't get was George Foster. You said a little bit on Twitter about why that didn't happen. Can you talk a little bit about the George Foster experience? I was like trying to get him for the interview
2: yeah so i mean the, the process was with most of these guys um jay horowitz would make the initial contact and um and then he would say you know okay you know here's the number call him uh and in george foster's case he said george foster doesn't want to participate and i said well can i just talk to him and jay said sure so well he said check with george george and so i had a conversation with george foster and this was i think pre-pandemic and it was great. It was hilarious. He's a very fun and smart man. And I was able to, I thought, convince him: look, you were there. You were a part of the story. It didn't end well. It didn't begin particularly well. But you were an important cog in that in that machine. You were the first great acquisition of the Frank Cash in era. It was like a, you know, a shot across the bow of the rest of baseball hey, the Mets mean business now. We're getting a a former MVP. And we just want to hear your thoughts. And he said, okay, you know, and he would do it. And then the pandemic hit and it knocked us out for a couple of months. And we sort of had to gather our, you know, forces to figure out, well, how are we going to do this? And we figured out how we were going to do it, film the interviews remotely. Um, So I called George Back or texted him and said, "Hey, we want to figure this out. Here's how we're doing it. We're going to hire a local crew in Cincinnati and come to you." And uh, and at that point, he said, uh, "I'm going to politely decline." So he may have had second thoughts anyway. But I, I, it was another thing that you know had me upset with the pandemic. On the other hand, I do think that we tell his story and that part of the story. As well as it can be told and and you know some guys are, are not great advocates for themselves, so maybe it's even better that he didn't participate. Um, and um, I, I feel like the you know i'm not i'm not sorry for the film's sake that we didn't get him i'm sorry for my sake that we didn't get him. Yeah, I also thought it was great. You mentioned he's you tell his story you
1: know, he's not there. The one thing I didn't know is that he was there in game six, of the A6 World Series, and my partner John Coppinger made out It's like that he was there for the NBC and so they're they're coming back, they're gonna win this game. That was I thought that was a fan- fascinating A uh, piece of uh interview you got from I think it was Anne Lagory said that or
2: Yeah, Anne Lagory said that. And that was a, that was an amazing bit of information. And when we found that out um from in a pre-interview with Anne Lagory, we said, We have to talk to you because that it's, what was he doing there she didn't know why he was there I would have loved to have asked him like what were you doing and it was probably some you know corporate engagement or something but um but the fact that he's the one in the film who says you can't count this team out and even when he's being released he says he's sad because he won't be with this team when they win the World Series they all had that mindset that they were going to win no matter what it's so rare. You, you don't see a team that has that, like, I mean, obviously all teams, you know, expect to win, but but the, the real, almost knowledge that they were going to win, um, and then the fact that they very nearly didn't, you know, it's it just incredible, incredible. Yeah, for sure. And obviously you couldn't get him, but you'd tell the stories. So anybody else that you felt
1: like you wanted from that team you couldn't get, that like, like you tried to reach out to you didn't find?
2: Not really. I mean, there was a couple other guys we just didn't connect with in time or a couple other one other player said no. And it was early in the process. And my sense was, oh, he doesn't understand what we're doing. He thinks it's just going to be another rehash of the negativity and sort of all about Daryl and Doc and um, and if uh but but really no i i I felt like we got a you know we got most of the major players and and a representative sampling of of those who were not as important we had these sort of two outsidery figures on the team one who was traded before 86 billy bean and one who was traded in the middle of the year ed lynch and they were kind of our kind of like you know almost like a fish out of water like uh, you know if things had been different like that's me if i had been a baseball player ed lynch you know i i can understand that guy he's like normal and human and and he can tell the story of these crazy outrageous athletes uh and same same with billy bean um so i feel like we we covered the waterfront pretty pretty well
1: yeah, and I also saw, I was curious, like, I see Terry Pendleton, Pendleton was in there. And we know the role he plays in 87, basically ending that team season. Like, he was really the lo- most notable, like, opposing player in the dock. We had no ties to the Mets itself. Did you consider more guys like him, or was he sort of like, okay, he's our guy for that role in the in the film?
2: Yeah, he, he. again, there were a few other players we approached, and, and I, you know, I'm not making excuses. I'm very proud of the film and, and winding up with the 44 interviewees that we did have was was great. We would have had more if it hadn't been for the pandemic. Um, we, you know, we actually the other guy who said no was Mike Scott it would have been fun to talk to him. But again, I think the film works great for his not being in there and to hear the great Jeff Perlman story about, you know, well, one of these days I will write my book and I'll tell the story, the truth about scuffing. Oh, great. When are you going to write your book? Never. You know So. <laughs> I feel like that, you know, that's all you really need to hear from Mike Scott. Um, but it would have been it would have been fun to to talk to him anyway. Yeah. Uh, but he said no. Um, yeah. Yeah. I did love the part though when you told Mike Scott's story when you had
1: I forget which player it was this showed you the scuffed baseballs. I got about another fifteen of these in my basement, so I thought that was a fun way to show. Yeah, he's still scuffing the balls.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, Ed Hearn kept all these baseballs for for thirty five years. Ed Hearn has kept these scuffed baseballs. It's it's you know it's hilarious and it's. It's lore and it's like myth making, you know, and that's what makes this team uh, so fun is like they they were so larger than life. And, you know, whatever team wins the World Series this year, I'm sure it's going to be a great team and and somebody could do a documentary about them. But they they don't you know, they're not like these mythic figures almost the way the 86 Mets were.
1: Yeah. And I want to talk about like a couple of the civic interviews you got and. I start with Lenny Dietrich because obviously, like, we've heard all the stories about Lenny's issues off the field, all the crazy stuff he did on the field. But I have to say, like, the experience of interviewing him, I mean, he comes off as one of the most interesting people in this film, because, like, as my partner said on the site, like, he has not come off like a crazy old uncle, like, where he's just saying all these, like, wacky stories. So what was it like talking to Lenny for this project?
2: Uh, it was great. And it, that was one of the real highlights, I have to say, I was interviewing Lenny. He, it was the first of the, I, I think it was the first of the remote interviews that we did. Um, so I was here in New York in my office and he was in L.A. We rented a, a place to, to film him in um, and had a you know producer on set, an L.A.-based producer, L.A.-based cameraman, uh, everyone masked and you know they would you know the Lenny Wrangler got him to the set on time uh and he's being interviewed you know i'm conducting the interview from my office over zoom they placed the laptop right next to the camera so he's looking just off camera as he would as if i were in the room and it was you know four hours of just amazing you know stories and profanity and hilarious stuff, but also I found very moving at times, very uh, kind of honest. Um, You know, he's obviously had a challenging, difficult life and, you know, he doesn't make excuses for it, but he's he's out there. And, you know, a number of people when I was finished, with him were like, well, was he crazy? And I was like, no, I don't think he's crazy. I think he's crazy like a fox. I think he he knows what he's giving out. He knows that he's, to some extent, playing the role of nails and and that we expect a certain kind of nuttiness from him and and unfilteredness. Um, But he's also honest and talks about like, you know, at the end of the film, like the thing about, you know, his life now and days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, months turn into years. But but it's okay because I won a World Series in New York City. Where do you go from there? It's like I, I was very moved by that in the interview room or in the interview Zoom, and um, and I was really happy to put it in the film.
1: Yeah, the other interview I want to get to also is Keith Hernandez. And obviously, I think he comes off as sort of like the main character of the A six Mets here, where he was obviously their captain, the leader of the team. And I think the most fascinating thing about his interviews, obviously besides the presence of Haji, which is always great, but the whole movies. Yeah. Like, what part of the point did, did Keith volunteer show you the whole movie? Did you know about these things? What happened with the whole movies?
2: no i i can't remember maybe he wrote about it in his book um he, he must have written about the home movies in his book and i asked him about it and he said yeah sure i'm happy to uh, give them to you and put them on dvd and get them back to me um and um yeah nobody had ever seen them before and they're they're incredible that you know the father was so involved in keith's baseball career that he had the mom take, you know, eight millimeter film, which it's not like, you know, it's on your phone, like you have to go buy an eight millimeter camera. And, you know, it's complicated if you're not a, you know, someone who's good at gadgets. And, um, and so it was just kind of amazing. And then at key moments in his life, Keith's father would say, look at this, I want to show you this, and he would say, look, there you are, you were 11 years old, and, and I knew you had it, and this is why I was so hard on you, because I knew you had a chance to be something special, and I wasn't going to let you blow it, and it's just, like, that's very intense, and and uh, I was thrilled and so delighted, and, and really, it was just amazed that Keith was so willing to talk about uh, what he went through in, in his childhood with his dad. And, and same thing with all the guys. I mean, it, it, certainly Doc and Daryl most particularly, that they talked about their childhood so openly uh, was really a gift uh, to the film. Yeah, for sure. And my last
1: question here is this sort of, obviously we got a lot of stories we never heard before. I know I can think of a buzz on top of my head, whether it was Bobo, he is secret injection, like shot before he gets starts in the NLCS, Gary Carter fighting uh, Lenny Dice in the hotel, them ordering a hooker for Jay Horowitz in Montreal, them wrecking the plane. Like, like what story when you found out and you said, oh, my God, this is this is goal. I have to get this in here. What was like that one story that jumped out to you right away?
2: Well, I tell you, the mule kicking story. I, I loved so much in yeah. the, the, the hotel and Dykstra said it was in Atlanta uh, where he was mule kicking Gary Carter's door, uh, trying to get him to come out at three o'clock in the morning. And then and then Carter, you know, I mean, it was, you know, obviously a great tragedy that, that Carter, and, and ironic that Carter would be the one to go first, you know, and that his voice, I mean, we have his voice and we have his widow, Sandy Carter, who was terrific in the film and terrific and, and, and open with us. But, um, but, you know, he's portrayed so often as just like a big goofy guy. But that story is so great because it shows how tough he was too, and he—you he, didn't mess with Gary Carter, and you know Lenny Dykstra, ha ha ha—it's all very funny and cute. But you know, gosh darn it, let me get my sleep, and don't you ever do this again. Um, and um, so I, I think that when when Lenny told that story, I, I was like, well, this is going right in, um, and I was very happy about that. You know, and I should say that you know the six and a half hour version, which I. You know, I thought we were done. I knew we weren't done, but I I, I, I loved every minute of it. Um, one of the great things is we do have this book. And the book is an oral history and is essentially transcripts from the interviews that we did. Uh, and the book is you know, now available at bookstores and everything. And it contains a lot of the stories that we didn't have time for. So everything that was in that six and a half hour rough cut pretty much is in the book and, and other stories as well. So a lot of the things that um, just in talking to you, I've thought of a couple of other things. I was like, ah, I wish we'd had time for, you know, the fact that Terry Pendleton's home run uh, in 87, which knocked the Mets essentially out of contention and ruined the chance of them repeating as champions, his home run sailed over the center field wall and, and dented Ron Darling's Mercedes, you know, and we didn't have time for that in the film. But uh, that was just such a great detail uh and and that's in the book and you know that's what i i i'm very happy to like that we have the book to sort of catch all the stuff that we didn't have time for in the film yeah for sure
1: i definitely plan on getting that book because i definitely want to see all those stories that did not make the cut i'm fascinated by that and or any other projects you're working on right now you want to like let the audience know like what like stuff to look for in the future from you
2: well, uh, the craziest coincidence in my life is that I have been working on a book uh, for the last, uh, another book, uh, for the last 18 or 19 years about my family. Um, my grandfather was Herman Mankiewicz, who people may know because he wrote Citizen Kane with Orson Welles. And uh, my great uncle was Joe Mankiewicz, who wrote and directed, among other movies, all about Eve and Cleopatra and a bunch of other things. And so I, I wrote a book about them that came out the same day that the documentary aired. Just. Total coincidence, and that book is called uh, "Competing with Idiots: Herman and Joe Mankiewicz, A Dual Portrait." So that's that's the other thing that I have out now, uh, and then I've got other films that are coming, but too early to talk about. Yeah, for sure. Let me keep an eye on the future. If you want to follow you on Twitter, it's at Nick Davis Prods. Correct? I think so. I'm not great on the Twitter. I'm trying. <laughs> But yes, I think it's Nick Davis prods, yeah.
1: For sure. So ch- follow Nick there. Be sure to check out his books if, you're, if you enjoyed this interview. Nick, thanks for all the time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. It was a pleasure. Take care. All right. We are back here. The Holly Special rolling on this year, going into our year-end clip review, where we go through some of the best moments of the podcast this year. Joining me to do that, our pop culture correspondent, Sam Rosa is here. Sam, how are you?
3: Good. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to have you on the holiday special again. I think this is the fourth year in a row you've been on. The first three, we did the holiday gifts, but in terms of timing, it's really tough because it gets out so late and people don't have time to buy the gifts. So I figured this might be a better spot for you.
3: Hey, I'm excited just to join. Um, plus, you know, it's hard to top last year's gifts that we did together, so. <laughs>
1: no, go out on a high note. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that segment is it, temporarily retired, but now we're gonna have some fun. We are go through the year in the podcast clips. I pulled a bunch of clips. We're going to take a listen, react to what's happening. There's some, some predictions here. There's some shenanigans in here. It's a lot of fun stuff in here. I think I think you'll enjoy these.
3: I'm very excited.
1: Yeah, so we're going to start out at the top here. We're also going to throw out episode numbers as they pop up. So people, if you want to go back and listen to these episodes, specifically, you can go ahead and do that. We're going go all the way back to January last year. Oh, January of this year. It's episode 164. I talked about the Jet coaching search last year when they're looking for a coach and... I talked to one of the beat reporters, Andy Vasquez, and he actually talked about a couple of days before Robert Sala was hired, and he actually weighed in on uh, Coach Sala. So here is what Andy had to say about him.
0: Who knows, but yeah, I think Eric the enemy is where you start. I think Robert Sala, uh, Sala, who interviewed with the Jets on uh, Friday, is another guy who definitely has the total package in terms of charisma, uh, leadership, has run a defense, that has been one of the best in the league for the last four seasons. He uh, has, has been a big part of San Francisco improving during the time that he's been there. And this is a guy, most importantly to me, who has shown that he can overcome adversity within his unit. Which, if you look at these last two Jets coaches, that has been their downfall. Like when things get got bad for Todd Bowles, when they when Adam Gase dealt with difficult situations, their teams never had an answer in games that mattered or in stretches of the season that mattered. And if you look at the 49ers this year, they lost their best defensive player. Week two had several other key parts in and out the whole season. And were still the one of the best defenses in the league. The reason that team didn't go to the playoffs is because the injuries on offense were too much to overcome. So, um, I think it starts with those two guys personally. I think Salah is the better fit for the Jets, but, um, just because I just think that is the kind of guy who's going to change the culture, that kind of personality. But but there's other guys out there who have great personalities too, and and strong units like Matt Eberflus with the the Colts. Um, and I think a, a lot of these guys that the Jets have lined up interviews with uh, have that kind of factor. It's just some of them have been able to show it, and some of them haven't.
1: All right, that's this take on Robert Sale. I mean, it's a little early. I mean, he's had. A rough year because the team has really no defensive talent, but he's not a disaster like Adam Gates. I guess that's progress.
3: Yeah. Um, I just liked, you know, that's so cool that he was like, yeah, he's the best candidate. And it's like, he got hired. And I, I love hearing those things. Like, it makes me super happy. <laughs>
1: yeah. And he got hired about three days after I did that interview. So it was actually very coincidental timing that actually worked out.
3: Oh my God. He's, he's clairvoyant, you know?
1: Yeah. Speaking of clairvoyant, I also spoke to the great John destremsky who I called him at the end of the WFAN days before he moved on to the uh, New York, New York podcast that he hosts over on the ringer. Great episode. I talked to him after the AAC championship game, the championship games got ready for the Super Bowl. And that was the Super Bowl. Remember, the Chiefs were heavily favored going in. Tampa pulled off the upset win. And I asked JJ for his thoughts on the big game. So let's go back to what he had to say about that. And this is from episode number 166.
4: Higher planet bet the Kansas City Chiefs in this game. Don't you?
1: Yeah, I feel that way.
4: Yeah, and because of that, I have the initial inkling of thinking that Tampa's got a legit shot in this game. And I'm gonna tell you an injury that's a big deal for the Kansas City Chiefs. Eric Fisher blowing out his Achilles, they starting tackle, that is gigantic. I mean let's not let's not lose sleep over that. When you're going up against Shaq Barrett, when you're going up against Jason Pierre Paul, Tampa has the weapons on defense disrupt Mahomes. I don't know if anybody has the weapons to slow down Mahomes, but you gotta get a big turnover or two. You gotta get a big sack. You you gotta make a big play. And the defense is capable. Like anybody's looking at this game saying it's gonna be a runaway, it's gonna be a shoo in for the Chiefs, I would say not so fast. That's my like my initial thought on the game is that I think people are gonna crown Kansas City and I know how tough they are to stop. This is not gonna be some 45-14 Super Bowl. I don't buy that for a minute.
1: He pretty much nailed that.
3: Yeah, uh, very spot on. That was really great.
1: Yeah, he was one of the first in that Eric Fisher injury being a big deal. Because remember, Mahomes got destroyed that game. That line was really bad.
3: Yeah, and for somebody who did not think Tampa Bay was gonna win, um, you know, I you know, I feel like he he answered every single, you know, issue that they had like right in your interview.
1: Absolutely. And now we'll go ahead. Super Bowl happens. We actually came on the podcast, broke down Super Bowl commercials, and we had some fun because we ripped apart one of the worst commercials in the Super Bowl. Do you remember what that was?
3: Yes, I'm not. I'm not ready to rehear the commercial, though.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we're going to go listen back to our take on the only commercial, which famously featured the company CEO playing keyboard in the middle of the field and singing horribly. So let's go back to that one from the episode 169
2: no 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 wow wow no cow no no
5: no
1: wow wow i want to point this out here this ad costs five and a half million (laughs) dollars they put their ceo in a cornfield playing the keyboard singing awfully
3: Although, wow, yeah. oat, like, low cow yeah. does make me a little happy. Yeah. It's still so cringeworthy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they paid $5.5 million to do that.
3: They can probably thank TikTok for making, like, oat-based milk a thing this year.
1: I mean, again, like, you and I could go – we could recreate this right now. We could just put a camera in a cornfield. We could just do this for about 10% – Like. Maybe 1. 1.01% of the cost of this ad. It might mm-hmm. be better quality.
3: We do have the way for the snow to melt, but other than that, definitely.
1: I mean, that's one of those, you're just sitting there, you just, like, scratching your head, and you're sitting there just going, What
6: the hell's going on out here?
1: Like, what are you thinking?
3: Yeah. Oh, my God.
1: Hearing him it, sing is not going to want to get oat milk.
3: I'm glad we're on the same page, though.
1: Yeah and before we move on from this one that was ever the worst commercial would, would you rather watch that one again or the mint mobile one again
3: um probably the probably the Oatly one because <laughs> the other one is even worse um but fun fact for all you listeners i actually use oatly creamer in my coffee now and maybe that commercial might have done something
1: <laughs> so you actually bought the Oatly after all that i guess it worked
3: well, I was trying something different, you know, trying yeah. to be good for the environment or whatever, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, uh, I wasn't ready to relive that song, but here we are.
1: <laughs> here we are indeed. Let's get forward a couple of weeks. We're getting into spring training now. The baseball beat is there and will Anthony and I did not do a great job in our predictions this year. So there's no Cy Young winners, no world series predictions like we had, but we did have some fun at the expense of one very bad baseball team, the Baltimore Orioles, and we found a fun fact about them in our spring training uh, off-season catch-up show. So here's us talking about the Orioles, episode 171. I also want to give a, a demerit to the Baltimore Orioles, because I don't know if you guys saw the baseball proge- prospectus projected standings and percentages of playoff chance to make the playoffs. They gave the Baltimore Orioles, before camp opens, a 0.0% chance of making the postseason. Come on. They basically said the Orioles, do not show up. Do not even bother playing these games. You have no chance of going to the playoffs.
7: They said the Orioles are worse than math. Like how <laughs> mathematically they can make the playoffs, but they said they cannot.
1: They even gave the Pirates a 0.4% chance. The Orioles got a 00, 0 on the scale from the baseball perspectives. Matt Harvey and Felix Hernandez now. So
7: maybe uh, in 2013, that'd be a great rotation. Yeah, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, I checked the standings here. Baltimore went 52 and 110. So I think baseball respect has nailed it. <laughs> uh,
3: Yeah, I mean, if you ever decide to get merch, I think you should put that on a shirt. The yeah. Orioles are like, or like worse than math or whatever <laughs> he says. That yeah. should definitely go on a t-shirt if you decide to start any merch.
1: Yeah, Yeah, the Orioles are worse than Matt. Definitely is Definitely is, is his mood. <laughs>
3: Yeah, except, you know, I'm still a little upset as a Yankees fan after they obliterated them multiple times uh, this past season and ruined the Yankees for, you know, record. But it's fine, Orioles.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. We'll definitely touch back on the baseball a little bit, especially your Yankees. I have a few things on them coming up. But we're going to go now to the basketball here. I talked to the guys from the Sorry to Interrupt podcast, uh, Sean Roe, Tom, I believe you've met them once before so. Yeah. yeah, they were they were fun, and we are talking about the Nets, and Sean actually had a brilliant prediction that came true on the podcast like literally a couple of weeks after it happened. So let's go to Sean's prediction for who Brooklyn should bring in.
7: The guy that I have on my mind, in addition to JaVale McGee, which I don't think would take more than a, two seconds to get, is Blake Griffin. And I know people are going to kind of roll their eyes at that because we're thinking of Blake with Detroit. Well, if you can ask Blake to play 12 to 18 minutes a night He can stretch the floor. He's a great passer. And the only issue I have with Drummond, although I would be ecstatic if the Nets got him, is is he bought into taking on that DeAndre Jordan role, which is rim running, rim protecting, and hey, we're not running any plays for you. Just just kind of go after it on defense and, and on the boards. Because Blake Griffin, at this point in his career, doesn't have to do that. And JaVale McGee knows his role. So I think you, the last thing you want from this Nets team is to have somebody that's clogging up the middle. So that takes away from all the playmaking that the Nets have. So I think if you could get a JaVale McGee and a Blake Griffin on the buyout market, I think that's really all the Nets need to do.
1: Yeah, and he did come here. He did get bought out. He came to the Nets and he resigned. So good call out Sean.
7: Yeah, man.
3: Sean's, Sean's a knowledgeable dude. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, he, he broke it down perfectly. He's a big net guy, so not surprising that he had to uh, read correct what they needed.
3: That's true. Fans are the, like, best and worst critics of your team.
1: Yeah, and speaking of fans of things, uh, were you a big fan of the Snyder Cut when it came out this year?
3: <sighs> yes and no. I just love, you know, me and superhero movies. I love it, but that was a long one.
1: It was a long one. It was over four hours. I watched it, and another guy who watched it, the great John Sanko and
3: oh no this is gonna be a good one
1: i got john stanko's take on the snyder cut we watched it and he actually enjoyed it a bit so let's hear what how john stanko graded the snyder cut so 182 so we jumped over a little bit we're into may now
8: my straight opinion mike is i finished it and i was like this movie is better than it has any right to be like four hours you think it's gonna be a slog and i'll be fair i watched it in three different sittings because between doing work stuff and i just couldn't sit for four hours and do it i believe you watched it in two you said yeah, but I was thoroughly impressed, thoroughly entertained, uh, and it was. It reminded me a lot of Watchmen, which was very long, but again, I was entertained throughout it, and I enjoyed Watchmen better than most. And this movie is better than it has any right to be. The worst part of the movie is the epilogue. Get rid of that shit, and the movie's <laughs> great. And, and and like the movie is good. I gave it a B. Again, this movie is better than a lot of the comic book movies I've seen recently. It was much more self-aware steppenwolf was actually fleshed out as a villain but a sub villain if you will uh they kind of made him more human but also kind of fleshed him out and i really really enjoyed it uh i think the cgi was maybe a little iffy at times because because they wanted to get it done but they fleshed out the characters they needed to the action looked really 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 good uh and they didn't dwell too much on the melodrama uh that was that plagued the first one they made it more fun just because they piped up more action to it, and they fleshed out the characters in, in a very positive way.
1: So Stanko, very, very high on the Snyder cut.
3: Uh, yeah, I was expecting a Stanko rant. You know how he gets all angry at his move at movies, and then goes on a Stanko rant. Yeah. I was, I mean, I'm I agree with him, but I was also looking forward to him ripping it apart.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, to be fair, he is right. The epilogue is trash. So I think if you get rid of the epilogue, I think it's a much better product.
3: I agree as well. I mean, yeah. Stanko's never wrong, right?
1: <laughs> I disagree with Stanko on occasions about things. But usually, we found the scale. is. I usually have letter grade higher than Stanko is on things most of the time.
3: Yeah, that's true.
1: Yeah, perfect example on Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. I gave it a B plus. he gave it a C plus. So that basically... I'm not
3: going to get started with that now, but...
1: <laughs> yeah, we did a lot of Marvel this year. But before we get back into that stuff, I want to get to... The NBA, the Knicks had a very fun year. They made the playoffs. They lost the first round of the Hawks. Before that series started, I had a chance to talk to the mixed beat reporter for the New York Post, Mark Berman, and I got his prediction to break down the series from the Knicks Hawks. It's a little lengthy, so settle in there, but he, they, he did a pretty good job laying out exactly what happened in that series. So I'm going to give Mark Berman in full his shot here with this clip from episode 189.
9: Uh-huh. Listen, I haven't put my prediction in the newspaper yet, but, you know, I've talked to a lot of scouts, and even though the Knicks were 3-0, and you know, you can make the case that the Knicks really never faced the Hawks at full strength. Uh, you know, the first two games, uh, they beat them. They were 3-0. The first two games, uh, you know, it was when Lloyd Pierce... Uh, was the head coach, and the Hawks are just a different team with Nate McMillan. They're just uh, better defensively. Trey Young is much better, much more in control with McMillan as his coach. Uh, and then in the third game, McMillan was the coach, but Trey Young got hurt late in the third quarter, if you remember, and the Knicks were down nine points. But Trey Young went to the bench. You know, no, I'm sorry, he went to the locker room. And, uh, and the Knicks rallied to win in overtime. I believe if Trey Young didn't get hurt, uh, the Knicks would have lost that game. Uh, you know, the Hawks also had some injury woes earlier in the season. And I don't know if the Knicks have ever played them when the Hawks have been fully healthy with Bogey and Gallinari and DeAndre Hunter, who's a pretty good defensive player, uh, so you know, and, and this is the first time for Julius Randle in the playoffs. And I'm a little worried. I mean, I think there's so much pressure on him now because everyone's looking at him as the the guy to lead them to the promised land. And I'm worried, especially in game one, that you know the pressure might be a little much on him. And, and I know Atlanta's going to have a nice defense this time for him. So if push comes to shove, I think it's going to be a very close series. And the Knicks have been so good from the three-point line. But I think when push comes to shove, I think Atlanta has just a little too much firepower for the Knicks. And I think that the Hawks are going to win it in, in maybe seven games, but I think more six games.
1: He's a game off, but he basically nailed the, how the entire series played out.
3: Yeah, I mean, I like that you did get his take before he published it in the paper. So I think that's a pretty big moment. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, talking to Mark Burns was definitely a lot of fun. He had a lot of insight on that series, and he did break down a lot of factors in that interview that sort of laid out exactly why the Knicks ended up losing it. So, again, you want to go back to that. I know Knicks fans is painful, but 189 in the podcast archives. You want to check that out.
3: Oh, that's awesome. I mean, I wanted the Knicks to win, but, you know, yeah. that's a New York thing, though.
1: Yeah. Speaking of episode 189, it's the only episode here that got two clips in the, sh- in the uh, segment here because this is also the episode we did the Marvel movie rankings. I believe you were a part of where you yes. sent in your list here. It's the prequel for a bigger ranking product we did later on, but we did the Marvel rankings, Alan Austin, and we had a fun list, some wild takes on some of these things, but we had a pretty clear cut at number one. We'll go to that now. It's episode one eighty nine with the great Alan Austin, Thor Ragnarok.
10: Look, it's a different feel from the rest. I understand why it's at number one. People a. Ad- this movie it's comedic it's probably the funniest mcu movie i just i had it at number six i'm a big fan of it i think some of the hella stuff is a little long in the tooth a little long-winded but you can't deny that all of the space stuff the jeff goldblum stuff the hulk stuff you know, Tessa Thompson's newly introduced character in this movie, and this is Thor's best performance. You have a lot of fun Loki stuff. So this is my highest rated Loki movie. Just, it's a really good movie. And I can't fault people for liking it the most. It's the flashiest. It's the most energetic movie. There's a lot of great music and Taika Waititi. So like, I can't fault that. And Jeff Goldblum alone, is worth it being in the top ten, so I I, can't, I have no gripes with it. It's just my sixth, that's all.
1: Yeah, I think in terms, of, I has number four is number one from John Stanko, number two from Sam, number two from Dan, number one from Nick, and number five from Martino. So you were the lowest at six, so that explains a lot.
10: If it's the lowest at six, that's a quality movie right there.
1: This is one where I feel like I love it, and it's just amazing. Look at the list. Thor's second movie is twenty three. It is dead last. The turnaround from that one to Ragnarok is so dramatic, and you can tell Chris Hemsworth is having so much more fun being Thor in it. And Taika Waititi saved that franchise because I think if now that movie, Chris Hemsworth is gone, after his contract is up in Endgame. Now he's re-energized. He's gonna be a couple more movies. I think this saves the franchise. Jeff Goldblum is fantastic. He's basically, just being Jeff Goldblum as a villain, which I love, this is so funny. And you get Korg and Meek, who are probably fantastic, who are fantastic sidekicks. Yeah, I love that movie, and I think it was a testament to that to that franchise that it ended up number one after all the other stuff going on, on our list.
3: Yeah, um, like I said, I, it still holds number two. Uh, you know, who knows with the new Spider-Man movie coming out? Uh, but like, it's so quotable and everything. Like, I quote, "It's my friend from yeah, work." Yeah. Like, it's just like Taika did an amazing job with all the characters.
1: Yeah, I think with that one, I think it's gonna be fun. Also, obviously, we we're recording before Spider-Man. Uh, no way home comes out and that one feels to be very polarizing you're going to love that movie you're going to hate it that's the sense i gather but i think in the future do a little update the rankings in the future for marvel i think i have of the ones i've seen so far again i did not go to eternals and theaters yet because the reviews have been so bad i'm like "Eh, i'm not gonna waste my money so i feel like from what i've seen from what i've seen shang chi better than black widow that's where i stand on the new ones
3: same i have not seen eternals but i agree with your rankings
1: all right, let's go ahead now to Memorial Day, episode one ninety one. I had a chat with SNY contributor Anthony McCarron and he's been, came out a couple times a year with his appeal, to him, and we had uh, some stuff to think say about MLB instant replay. If you a big fan of the replay system as a whole.
3: Am I? Yeah. Uh no. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, we're not either. So let's <laughs> let's check out what's going on here with our thoughts on the replay system. This came, I think, right after a series the Mets had at home against Colorado where they had a couple of guys like called out for like having a hand an inch off the base and get tagged for it so we'll go listen to the replays conversation here This is episode 191
11: but the met game the other night um when when de and vr got uh, uh instant replayed out when uh, on the bases um was kind of an interesting moment because you know they want more action in the game and here's a guy stretching a single into a double oh he was off the base for a nanosecond he's out and then the other guy you know, comes off the bag after stealing third, you know, doesn't MLB want, I thought they wanted more steals. He comes off the base for a nanosecond as well. Yeah, he's out via replay too. There's a lot going on in this game right now. Um, Not all of it great. Um, I mean, it's still a great game. Don't get me wrong, but uh, you know, there are some issues here. Yeah. The replay thing drives you crazy. Like you said, it's like
1: we're wasting time now, slowing the game down for nanoseconds. Oh, his foot was two inches off the bag for a second, and he tagged him, so he's out. Well, that's not what the spirit replay is supposed to be. I've flown this idea online. I don't you think about this. It's like, I think part of the problem here is that, like, the teams themselves being able to challenge has made this an issue. I wonder, maybe, it would be better if we have sort of like a skybox umpire who's there only challenging when you have blatantly wrong calls, like when the umpire calls the first base and out, when he's like three feet off the bag or something like that.
11: Yeah, I'm, I'm open for anything that makes it better than it is right now, because that certainly was not the spirit of the thing. And it's, I mean, look, fielders are taking advantage of it now, too, because, you know, they know that that, that teeny tiny window might exist. So they're keeping the tag on, maybe giving an extra shove, too. I'm not accusing anybody of any anything, just <laughs> suggesting that it might be there. Um, and, and, you know, so they're keeping the tag on. And, It's a strategy and that's going to, you know, that's going to discourage people from trying to steal bases because you never know where that element is going to come into play.
1: Yeah, I think it's certainly an interesting take to discuss going off the replay. I know they're in a lockout right now. There are a whole lot of things going on here. Hopefully at some point they actually talk about, you know, we got to fix replay.
3: Fix replay, fix you know how things are done with replay. Um, I think baseball is going to go through a big like revolution of change, and hopefully, it's going to be all for the better. And hopefully, the replay is top of their list. I
1: don't think it's the top of their list, but they have bigger issues right now than just the replay.
3: Well, you know what I mean. Like the main meat, it's like the good cheese,
1: yeah, <laughs> it is the good cheese, as you put it. But we'll go on now to your team. The one Yankee club I got here is. You remember the fun we had with Garrett Cole, the sticky stuff when spider attack got banned.
3: Yep. <laughs> yep. I remember.
1: <laughs> yeah. That was a big topic. Especially when Garrett called that really weird press conference where he couldn't fig- like we got basically dumbfounded by being asked by the reporter about what, what are, you, are you spider attack I actually talked yeah, to with
3: his Kermit voice.
1: Yep. With the Kermit voice. And I talked to uh Yankee reporter, Brian Hoke about that time. And here's what he had to say about the Garrett Cole, uh, sticky stuff situation.
12: Yeah, I, I, I we'll never know. Uh, I mean, we'll never know. But what we do know is that magically, his spin rate did increase a lot going from Pittsburgh to Houston, and he was—he did become one of the best pitchers in the game. And I think that sticky stuff or no sticky stuff, he is one of the best pitchers in the game. But I think that it probably took him to an otherworldly level uh, where he was, you know, in the Cy Young conversation. And um, I, I am curious to see how he handles this he answered it pretty well after with his actions he did not answer it well in the zoom room but he did when he went on the mound and he did shove for a, for an outing there um, he needs to continue to do that and you know i think that if you see a massive performance drop off then that's going to be a smoking gun to a lot of people so um, you know, Garrett Cole just needs to continue to go out and pitch the way he has been. Um, you know, he started the year; he was on fire. Um, he's setting strikeout records for in franchise history. And I was thinking, you know, Ron Guidry's eighteen strikeout game is not going to last a year. Um, so maybe that, maybe Guidry is safe now, and uh, he can uh, he can rest easy there. That that 18th strikeout game will go. But I think that Garrett Cole is the kind of guy that. No matter what, every time he's on the mound, you you think there's a chance he might throw a no hitter that day.
1: Yeah, I think it's important to see what happens to Garrett Cole in the off here because, like you you saw it clearly and you watch the Yankees a lot, like he is not the same guy as he was before the sticky stuff happened. And considering how much money they still invested in him, if he is not close to that guy and he's like just like your average ace and not like a superstar, it's a big overpay.
3: I think there's a lot going to go on this off season. You know, he has all the time now with all the lockout um, to work on his, you know, form and his precise, like with how to, how to grip the ball and, you know, everything like, there's so much speculation around it, but I'm sure he's going to figure, figure it out. I think he knows that it's a serious thing that needs to be taken care of. So, you know, good old Garrett Cole.
1: Yeah. He's the most important Yankee this off season, in my opinion
3: yes for to come back yeah. for his performance yeah. opening day definitely yeah.
1: yeah that's episode 195 now you go to episode 196 our next one It's our first of three clips from the sky guys pete Constor, Nick nick and myself we do this every throughout the year we had podcasts where we recap seasons of star wars animated properties this one comes from season six of clone wars and is a very interesting season on netflix and one very interesting development for one Jar Jar Binks, and Pete Considori was not a big fan of that one. So let's go to Pete's take on this one. Investigating a force disappearances on Bardada. And
13: Pete, it looks like you have some thoughts on this one. You know, I didn't think we can get any more. What's the word I'm looking for? flow <laughs> The Jar Jar Binks arcs. Now we gotta give him a love interest. Like I don't, I don't get why that's a thing. Like it's Jar Jar freaking Binks. Who the hell loves that? Who gets like a? That's it, not it. Make huh. all right. It's huh. it, that might have been the throwaway arc of the season, right? It was only yeah. like what two episodes, three yeah, episodes, two. It, it kind of shows Mace Windu in action a little bit more because you don't really see him a lot, and I feel like that was a, a <laughs> nice time to shine for him. Oh, my God. Why does he have a love interest? I, I don't get why that's important to anything in this show. It's almost as bad as Zero the Hutt, and I, and I don't take that lightly. I understand Zero the Hutt's horrible, but, like,
14: ugh, no, just no. Mike, I'm calling it right now. That last 40 seconds is going up on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, did you know that Jar Jar Binks had a love interest on Clone Wars?
3: No, but Pete, some people do care about Jar Jar Binks, and I am one of them. Yeah. I don't know why, but I like the guy. He's a weirdo, and I don't know why, but I'm upset that he hates Jar Jar so much. He
1: doesn't hate Jar Jar. He's the Jar Jar got a love interest. That's a difference.
3: Regardless, any any hate towards Jar Jar's love, love interest is hate towards Jar Jar. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, and just to clap, that's a two-part episode our in Season 6 of Clone Wars where Jar Jar Binks teams out with Mace Windu to investigate a series of the disappear- disappearances on a planet. It's definitely an interesting two episodes.
3: Interesting uh, duo, but, yeah. you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, quite the opposite of style approach there, but I thought it was very funny.
3: No, that was hilarious.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's for sure, and we'll go now to Episode 198. This is great predictions category here for the NBA Finals, and I had... Uh, sports grids Kevin Walsh on and he gave some interesting betting advice prior to the series so let's hear what Kevin had to say.
4: Giannis is plus 350 to win finals MVP right? If you compare that to the Bucks plus 140 you know price to win the title there's a significant gap there that when these lines were out when Giannis was fully healthy that gap didn't exist. If the Bucks were let's just say the Bucks was plus 140 Giannis would be plus 150, to win finals MVP. They, basically, they would be offered at the same exact price because, you know, the book's saying, listen, if you're going to win the title, it's going to be because of Giannis. Because of the injury, they can't put that in the same way. But like, I don't think in a 70% Giannis that plays second or third fiddle to Middleton or Holiday, I don't think that team wins the finals. So I actually think the Giannis plus 350 finals MVP bet does have a little bit of use to it.
1: And he did win finals MVP. So I hope you, if you listened and you got in on that number, you made some, you made some shekels.
3: Yeah. No, that was great advice.
1: Yeah. I always respect the Kev, the great Kevin Walsh for his sports betting take. So hoping to get him back on the podcast soon, talk a little football, but definitely a very good play from him.
3: Yeah. Uh, what, you know, I'm not a betting gal, but if I was,
1: <laughs> yeah. I'll
3: have to listen to him next time.
1: Yeah, and now we get to the fun, the big fun stuff here. Episode 202, the good old fashioned Star Wars movie ranking episode, our second Sky Guys appearance. We had over 200 responses to our survey on the movies, and we we talked to Return of the Jedi. We talked about a very controversial addition to the special edition of the movie that George Lucas did. The I'll let you listen to the take on this one, Let's get where you weigh in after this, but this is from episode number 202. I highly recommend the. Star Wars movie rankings episode. So let's listen.
14: I like the force ghosts of Hayden Christensen more. Am I in the ne- am I in the minority there or not? I agree with that. Tie uh,
8: I mind. I prefer the older Skywalker, so I'm in, I disagree with Nick and Pete. I, I do why do you prefer Hayden?
14: Yeah, that's why I want it's, to. It's in my opinion, that's when Anakin Skywalker died. Yeah. I mean, technically he was back for a little bit, but you're not gonna show a guy all burnt right. up. That's a good argument. Yeah. From my
1: opinion, though, it's like for me, it's like Luke never saw the Hayden Christian version. So why is he seeing him now as a force ghost? That's my question.
13: Uh, have, that's fair. That's fair. I'll, I will have to say, though, the continuity is a little bit off, though. If they were willing to go in and I mean, granted, what Nick said, you know, that's when Anakin died. So that's when you see Anakin. If they were willing to go in and show a younger version of Anakin, why are not they go in and show a younger version of Obi-Wan? That's the thing that doesn't make fly for me because that that continuity piece just kind of messes me up a little bit, but hearing Nick say what he said, it kind of makes sense why they go with the younger Anakin there. Maybe to also tie it into the older movies saying like, Hey, you know, we do have a character that we can, that you haven't seen really till the very, very end. So we'll put that in. Um, But that continuity makes me a little irked. So you're going to put the old, the, the young um, Anakin Skywalker, but you're not going to put the young Obi-Wan. I mean, that's the problem is like he's he knew old Obi-Wan. He did not know young
1: Anakin. He saw right. old man Anakin in the, in the uh, Darth Vader suit. Not,
14: you can't put that guy in. He was all burnt up. He had scars in his head. Like It would be terrifying for children.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, was like, <laughs> he was not burnt up when they did that. They just showed the old guy wearing Jedi robes. All right, so we had a 2-2 tie on that one. Stanko and I were pro old guy Skywalker. Nick and Pete were pro Hayden Christensen for us goes. So where do you fall here to break the tie?
3: Okay, first off, did not know I was going to be a tiebreaker today. <laughs> second off i gotta go uh with young uh anakin skywalker for the fact that you know i feel like the force is showing you know the good you know not the evil so i don't know now i feel like i've made a decision and now i'm worried about my decision well, I from dis- you and stanko <laughs> yeah
1: well we just say the reason we disagree at the decision mostly because i think in terms of the canon like he's said to walk around there and like wait who's that like wait i see obi-wan i see yoda who's that other guy like
3: But it's a force. He just feels it. He knows who it is from the force. He can recognize it. And like, you know, Obi-Wan died old. Yeah. So, you know, that's what he's going to see because he's always been like, you know, on the good side, basically. So.
1: We'll agree or disagree on that one because I. because Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Now let's go ahead a little bit. We go to the start of the NFL season. I spoke to Shilkapadi of The Athletic. We did the NFL season preview episode 209. And he was not very high on the New York football Giants. So let's get into what his take on the Giants was here, episode 209.
15: Yeah, I'm not bullish on the Giants this year. You know, I don't, I don't see them making any type of major leap. You know, they, they were sort of the winners of the off season in a way with Kenny Galladay, uh, Adoree Jackson bringing back Leonard Williams. But if you look at it, uh, you know, their offense, they, they look like they have on paper a bottom five offensive line they very well could have a bottom five play caller offensive coordinator in Jason Garrett and Daniel Jones has certainly flashed at times, but he has more fumbles than any other player in the NFL since entering the league. And so you add all those things up. And I think that's a lot to overcome for them to become sort of a, you know, even a top 10 top 15 type offense. I just don't see that happening. And defensively, you know, I I thought uh, Patrick Graham certainly did a good job last year, maximizing the talent, at his disposal, I just don't think they have a lot of talent. You know that certainly Leonard Williams is a very good player. They don't have a lot of edge rush. Uh, we'll see if the Dory Jackson can stay healthy, and so uh, I think they will be a fine defense. You know, I would say maybe mediocre, just slightly above average. But you add all those things up, and uh, I, I think they're uh, probably going to be a below five hundred team.
1: As of recording date, they're four and eight. Jason Garrison fired. Daniel Jones might not play again this year, and. Dave Gun's probably on his way out the door, so I think this is pretty accurate.
3: Uh, it's pretty spot on. Uh, you know, poor Giants, but they're a mess. Oh, big time, big time.
1: Yeah, my team is a mess as well, but at least we kind of know we're a mess. I don't think the Giants realize that they're a mess yet.
3: That is true. I mean, yeah. but I sometimes feel like the Giants, like, you know, looking back, they like they get, they get into a mess, but somehow they fix it, and you know, in the next two seasons, like. Go on to winning seasons, but it's been a while. It's been a while.
1: Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's go on now to the Mets. Our first Met clip of the of the podcast here, and I want to start with uh, Louis Rojas, who got himself fired after the season. They officially let him go, and we had, I had my issues with Louis, and I had the great Jones himself, John Copenhager on, and he shared what he thought the issue was with Louis Rojas. So let's listen in to what John had to say.
6: Rojas's moves have been head scratchers, like. Serious head scratchers. And you wonder, I wonder if there's going to be a new hierarchy above Rojas. Does he really have a chance to say, you know, there's been some backlash uh, from some media members. uh, I won't mention who, but uh, one in particular saying, Hey, both the Mets and the Yankees need to re-sign their managers. And I think that's just that reporter being contrarian because uh, everybody said that Luis Rojas's strength was, the handle that he had on the clubhouse. Yet when there were a lot of things that came up in the clubhouse, his answer always seemed to be, oh, I didn't know about that. Well, how do you not know about that if you're the guy that is supposedly so good at handling the clubhouse? That, that's why I kind of wonder what really the, the manager's role has evolved in and if we're, we're ever going to have a good manager again. And not, not to say that won't be good managers, but there's there seems to be a growing disconnect between a lot of managers and front office people where the front office people are kind of giving the managers the blueprint. And I think what we all uh, see with Rojas is that he sticks to the blueprint a lot. He sticks to the righty-lefty matchups, bringing in Albert Almora, hitting 118 as the last uh, last gasp of the game instead of Luis Guillerme, who's a much better hitter overall and against left-handers, uh, bringing in Jake Reed in the 11th inning that's, because that's because it's all what the script says. And managers, a thread with the last couple of managers also has been their lack of being able to explain why he made these moves. And it tells me that these managers are trying to cover up for the front office and they're taking the bullets for the front office. Now, now, is that fair? I don't know. But it it, it seems to me that uh, a manager, the role of a manager means that they're never going to and not just the Mets, any team the role of the manager is just so different. Now they're going to take the heat, but for, for somebody else's decisions and that.
1: Yeah. And that basically ended up happening. Roas gets let go And and as of recording, they have not picked a new manager yet, but it does sound like they're going in the opposite direction. What they've done the last two hires. That sounds good to me.
3: Yeah. I mean, I feel like both the Mets and the Yankees have uh, a lot riding on them this coming season. If there is a season.
1: Uh, there there's gonna be a season, no matter when it starts, that's the question because Yeah,
3: no, I know. I still
1: I, I have a hard time believing that these two sides are willing to give up all the money from missing games and having stuff like delayed, but I would not be yeah. shocked if we're getting to mid February and we're not at a deal yet. That I'm not I'm calling right now. I'm not surprised about that.
3: Oh yeah, no, I think it's gonna be like last minute up until like spring training.
1: Yeah. So episode two eleven on that clip. Now we'll go forward to so two fifteen and I had a great chance to talk to Nick Davis, the director of the Thirty for Thirty on the A six Mets. Once upon a time in Queens, fun conversation, and he had a good job getting some interesting stuff out of Lenny Dykstra, he was probably one of the most controversial members of that team. And I got his take on what it was like to interview Lenny. So let's listen to that one right
2: now, episode two fifteen. Uh, it was great, and it, that was one of the real highlights. I have to say, it was interviewing Lenny. He it was the first of the I, I think it was the first of the remote interviews that we did. Um, so I was here in New York in my office, and he was in LA. We rented a, a place to, to film him in, um, and had a you know producer on set, an LA-based producer, LA-based cameraman, uh, everyone masked, and you know they would you know the, the Lenny Wrangler got him to the set on time, uh, and he's being interviewed. You know I'm conducting the interview from my office over Zoom. They placed the laptop right next to the camera. So he's looking just off camera as he would as if I were in the room. And it was, you know, four hours of just amazing, you know, stories and profanity and hilarious stuff. But also I found very moving at times, very uh, kind of honest. Um, You know, he's obviously had a challenging, difficult life. And, you know, he doesn't make excuses for it, but he's he's out there. And, you know, a number of people when I was finished, they we were like, well, was he crazy? And I was like, no, I don't think he's crazy. I think he's crazy like a fox. I think he he knows what he's giving out. He knows that he's to some extent playing the role of nails and, and that we expect a certain kind of nuttiness from him and, and unfilteredness. Um, but he's also honest and talks about like, you know, at the end of the film, like the thing about you know, his life now and days turn into weeks, weeks turn into <laughs> months, months turn into years, but, but it's okay because I won a World Series in New York City. Where do you go from there? Yeah, I got to say, the Lenny Dykstra parts I thought were so fun.
3: Yeah, um, I also want to know how the Lenny Wrangler got that job and what that entails, you know, just as a follow up for next time you interview him.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess you saw that I'll put it on that list and ask him like who the Lenny, Lenny Wrangler was and like how he had to make sure Lenny got there on time and what was going on in that.
3: <laughs> Does he have to like sheepdog him to like go places?
1: <laughs> yeah, and that was in COVID. I do that with social distancing too, so.
3: No, that was um, that was really creative. You know, everybody has to adapt to this ongoing pandemic, and I thought that was awesome. All
1: right, let's go ahead one episode here, episode 260, our third and final Sky Guys clip here, and there have been some bad episodes of Star Wars shows. Rebel season two had one of the worst I've ever seen. It involved this very strange concept about space whales. And Pete, obviously, we heard before, was not was a jar of interest. You can imagine how that went with the space whales. So let's go to episode 216 here on this one.
13: I don't really understand why we need to know they had to fight spiders and figure out, you know, that Ezra can't talk to the spiders like they did. Um, the other episode that I'm going to put out there, which is the space whales, space, space whales. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another another one where I was just like, really, we're going to go there. Yeah. This is this is where we've gone in 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 animated Star Wars world is sea whales that can literally go the speed of light. They have their own <laughs> hyperdrives or they were the source, you know. The, I, I love how they're like this is where the hyperdrive was was uh um taken from the idea. Really? That's the that's where you got the idea from was whales, not any other flying technology. It was the whales that made you think, "Oh, we could go into hyperspace. That would be cool." I'm glad so that, you brought oh, this I'm glad you brought the space
1: whales up because that is by far the worst episode of rebels I've seen so far. And I will again point out, this is another concept they stole from avatar. The last airbender. And they did it very poorly once again, because in avatar, the last airbender, one of the things was they taught when one of the mystical elements was that when they, people learned how to bend the elements, whereas the air, the earth, the fire, they learned from animals. So like badger moles taught one character how to bend the earth and stuff like that. And they did it pretty cool. This was very lame. This was God awful. Like we didn't need to see space whales going into light speeds. Like, oh, that's why we got the inspiration to make ships that could do that
13: for gas. Yeah. The whole thing was, we're going to use the whales so we can get gas because we didn't fill up at the last station. <laughs> like this is, this was the whole premise of the story or the episode. So yeah, th- those are, those are my top worst episodes.
1: Yeah, and I got to say, that's a low point. And the Space whales do come back later on in Rebels. So.
3: Oh, boy, what a treat. But um, I like how this, you know, how Stanko usually does his rants on your, like, year end in review. It's like Pete gets the Stanko rant award.
1: Yeah, Pete was frustrated a couple of things.
3: Just a little bit. I'm yep. sorry, Pete, for your frustrations this year.
1: Yeah, and for sure. And last but not least, go back to the Giants one more time. Head coach Joe Judge has been a hot rod of late because he has said lots of things. team doesn't perform, and I had my good friend Justin Diaz on, noted ranter, and he was not happy with the idea that the Giants' calling card is going to be disciplined. So let's listen to the final clip of the countdown. Episode 224.
5: Stakes. Yes, your team can be disciplined as a whole, but if someone jumps off sides because the quarterback had a good hard count, that's it's a bad play by the player. It's a good play by the quarterback unless you have a repeat offender, then a lot of times it comes down to luck of the draw in my mind. So if a coach's calling card is discipline, that's not going to be a good coach more than likely. When, When was the last team that you said, this team disciplines their way to the Super Bowl. They, never. <laughs> they had a great offense or they had a great defense. Or maybe they had good at both or they had a great quarterback. There's never been, oh, yeah, the Patriots of 2001 were just a great disciplined team. No, they had a great freaking defense. Or the, the Chiefs from two years ago, historically good offense. The Bucks last year, there's a well-rounded team. No one's ever said, yeah, this team's. I like their chances at the Super Bowl because they don't commit a lot of penalties and they try hard. It's, it's bullshit. I, it's, it's just this old school football mentality. It fits perfectly with what the giants want and what their fan base wants old school, punch them in the mouth, run the football. We stink. I'm I'm so it's, it's literally, it's freaking groundhogs day with this team just backwards thinking hustling backwards. We're never, we're never innovative. We don't think forward. We, we wait until we give every player and coach we ever get, Every excuse under the book rather than just look at them critically and saying, you know what? Maybe they do have excuses, but at the same time, on the flip side, they haven't shown us anything to prove that they're actually good.
1: I think everyone's nailed it.
3: Yeah, basically.
1: I will say though, the line that no tier discipline that was role got me laughing so hard in the moment. I just it still gets you funny laugh to this day.
3: <laughs> no, that's so I mean he he makes a very valid point. You don't describe it as a disciplined team.
1: Yeah yeah i wanted to uh, too bad my team can't discipline play the super bowl
3: uh neither can mine if it makes <laughs> you feel any better and the best part was the jaguars mascot like two or three weeks ago got stuck and then yeah. that was like that's the defining moment of the jaguar season
1: yeah and there we have it those are clips from 2021 sam thanks for all time really appreciate it
3: hey i had a blast thanks for having me
1: before i let you go can you follow, follow on social media like you got some of the stuff you're up to
3: yeah, um I'm gonna bring it, I'm gonna be the old new person. Uh you can follow me on TikTok at Sam Le, or Sam in sports or um Instagram or uh, Twitter at S-D-R-O-S-5.
1: O S5. All right, Sam, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate
3: it. Thanks for having me.
5: Show me the money.
4: Let's look at
1: All right, Show Me the Money, Holiday Special Edition, Week 16 NFL Picks coming at at you right now. Join me today, the host of the Sharp Cheddar Podcast, big Green Bay Packers fan, Joe D'Aluizio is here. Joe, how are you?
16: I am doing very well, Mike, as always. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I've noticed a little bit of a new design here. We got the Christmas lights, the Christmas tree, the ugly sweater, the Show Me the Money sign. Yeah. Like what you've done. You've yeah. upgraded a bit. Yeah, the, sign, the sign's the sign been there all year. The other stuff is just holiday-related. Well, I, it's been a while since I've been on, so I haven't seen the sign. Yeah. So, but everything everything looks good. Everything looks good. Glad to be back on the pond, man.
1: Yeah, for sure. I thought it was going be a good week to get you. Obviously, your team's playing on Christmas, plus you had a fun game over the weekend where – the Ravens gave you everything you could handle without Lamar Jackson. They won 31-30 Green Bay after after John Har went for two for the third straight week, had it backfire on him. So what would you think about that game?
16: Yeah, let me tell you. Um, a lot closer than I thought it would be once Lamar Jackson was officially ruled out. Um, I thought offensively for the Packers, I thought they played well. I thought Rodgers has continue to progress as the, we get later into the season um, over the last, I believe four or five games, this offense is averaging 35 and a half points per game Rogers over his last four, pretty much 13, I believe 13 touchdowns, zero interceptions. So as we get deeper into the season, this offense is looking better, which is definitely a positive um, on the flip side. Uh, A couple head-scratchers for the defense. I mean, I I don't know why Joe Barry didn't make the adjustments, um, specifically with Mark Andrews. Um, They they struggled tremendously against Andrews, uh, especially Darnell Savage. With that being said, Savage also anticipated the two-point conversion at the end, made a huge play um, there to seal the deal, but at least half of Mark Andrews' production, came when Savage was on him and those were either for touchdowns or first downs. And for the life of me, I couldn't understand why they didn't a do that. And B how isn't there any adjustment to some sort of a QB contain when it comes to only, I mean, he was running all over the place. And to me uh, to go a full game without making those adjustments, that's not okay.
1: Yeah, for sure. And right now the good thing for them is they did find a way to win. They are now the top seed in the NFC, thanks to the stumbles from Arizona, and they have the tiebreakers over them and the Rams. And I think Tampa, they have a head, they have a high breaker, a conference record here. So right now it looks good they're going to be the number one seed again and have that first round bye. But obviously, you know, the big question for them is can they get to the Super Bowls? They have not done that
16: in either of Matt LaFleur's first two years. Is there Anything different this year that makes you change your opinion on that. I mean, I'll tell you this. What the biggest difference here right now is the mere fact that um, they're doing this with a very, very injury-plagued team. And I'm not talking about they're missing their backup kicker, they're missing their third-string running back. I mean, they are missing legitimate players that make a weekly game-to-game impact. So the fact that they've been able to do this escape when they need to and they're sitting at 11-3, that's pretty damn impressive. And to me, you know, if you could get Bakhtiari back, if you could get Zadarius Smith, Jair Alexander back. And those are just three. There's still a lot more out there. You get those guys back and you implement them into the lineup with guys like Rasul Douglas, who's been playing lights out. Um, you, you pair Zadarius Smith in a lineup with Preston Smith and Devondre Campbell or Sean Gary, who have been playing lights out, Chris Barnes. Um, there's a potential. There's There's something special there. Uh, I'm not going to deny it. Uh, There's definitely something special there. And at this point of the season, like teams aren't getting additions. They're usually getting subtractions, whether it's COVID, whether it's injuries. And to be able to possibly add some all-pro caliber players back into that lineup, man, it, it could be special. With that being said, though, I think whether it's the NFC, the AFC, it's wide open. Oh, for sure.
1: This year is not absolutely nuts. And right now, I mean, you get to the Christmas day game here. They're all, I feel like they play on Christmas a lot in our lifetime here. And they're hosting the Cleveland Browns here. We saw them play on Monday night in the very COVID decimated state they were in. They lost at the gun on a, on a field goal of the Raiders here. And what do you think is the key here for the Packers face? 18 the the brass. they should be presumably healthier getting more guys off the COVID list heading into this game.
16: Well, that's the biggest thing. It's really hard to determine what to expect in this game. Um, considering what they've gone through with COVID and missing so many key players. Uh, now anticipating that most of those guys are back, the Browns have been struggling as of late. Uh, this last loss, obviously a tough one um, considering the circumstances, but really flips the script in terms of where they are in, in, uh, in playoff contention. and, you know, I think if you're the Packers, you got to do everything possible to make Baker Mayfield, you know, make mistakes. You make Baker Mayfield make mistakes, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to get his, and this, it'll be a no problem for Green Bay.
1: Yeah. And even if Baker's off the COVID list, he still isn't playing with that bad shoulder all year long. He's not been the same guy as he was last year.
16: Yeah. And if there's one thing that's that's been pretty consistent when it comes to Green Bay is their ability to get after the quarterback. I mean, they've, they've brought the heat. In this second half of the season, big time. So, you know, uh, it, it really it really determines who plays. Uh, I think is a huge drop off between Baker playing, or versus Case Keenum playing, or the third string quarterback playing. Um, you contain Nick Chubb, I think you're going to be all right.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And before we get to some other stuff here, let's talk about the fact we have the two Christmas Day games here. I think your game is obviously interesting because yeah, the Packers are going for home field, the Browns are trying to stay alive. The Nike is also, I think, probably one of the better games of the weekend here. You got the Colts going out to Arizona to take on the Cardinals. And I remember when the NFL put these two out, I said, hmm, these don't look great. And then they both turned out to be better matchups here than the Thanksgiving slate gave us.
16: Well, look, let me tell you something. Um, I, I'm for, I'm very grateful that I'm going to probably have somewhat of a stressful Christmas watching the Green Bay Packers play. Yeah. But, you know, uh, that's always fun. Because I, uh, I will say, uh, you could only imagine what my – Reaction was like when the Ravens decide to go for two, and you know or could have <laughs> um, So I, I fully anticipate some sort of an outburst or two, or maybe even three on Christmas. Uh, I, I think it's a, I think it's a great slate. The NFL got really lucky too that Aaron Rodgers missed Alan Lazard in the back of the end zone because there could be history made at Lambeau on uh, on Saturday with Rodgers surpassing Brett Favre for the most touchdown passes in green Bay history in terms of the second game. I mean, you got a Cardinals team that started out so hot and now what's going on with them? where you have a Colts team that's coming off a huge win, uh, a great running run game in Jonathan Taylor and a, a team that could surprisingly, if they get in, if they sneak in could make some noise, you know, they do have that recipe, that run game in a defense. So I mean, way better, way, way better, not even a comparison to what we got on Thanksgiving.
1: Yeah, for sure. Before we get to the picks, I want to go back to our over-under discussion from the preseason because every year we have you come on before the season starts, do our NFL over-under picks. We're waiting up in the air. Now it's a good time to get an assessment on how
16: we're doing. All right. I, to be honest with you, Mike, I forgot where we even were in those over-unders. So I actually got my uh my pen out to write down how terrible I'm doing so far.
1: Yeah, well, Joe Ray I that also put up a graphic for the audience at home who watching the video version so they can see what's going on here. Joe's picks so far. He took the Panthers over seven and a half. That one does not look great right now.
16: Yeah, that does not look great. It started off really good. Yeah. Not so well right now. Then Sandar Darnold turned into a pumpkin. That really screwed you. Yeah, he's turned into a pumpkin. The offense just disappeared. Christian McCaffrey couldn't stay on the field. Uh, the whole uh, college coordinator, offensive coordinator, blew up in their face. It's been a rough year. Yeah. You have the Saints under nine. That is still attainable. Saints under nine, still attainable. Not sure how I feel about it right now. I can't believe they held the Bucks to zero points and sweep that out. But the fact that they have God knows who playing quarterback um on a week to week basis, uh it's uh, I kind of like my chances.
1: Yeah. You have the Cowboys under nine and a half. So that is a
16: loss. Yeah, that's 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 a loss. That, that's definitely a loss. Um, with that being said, though, I think, uh, you know, Mike McCarthy does what Mike McCarthy does best, and <laughs> they don't have a great uh, playoff performance. I'm also a little salty when it comes to the Cowboys. I did have two members. Yeah. Other Cowboys on my fantasy football team in uh, the quarterfinal matchup that did absolutely nothing for me uh, Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb. So that was wonderful.
1: Yeah. This one could come down to the wire next one. You have Washington over eight and a half. So that one could really come down to the gun. What are they at right now? We are, rec- And for the people inside baseball here, we're recording on the podcast on Tuesday afternoon prior to the postponed COVID game against the Eagles. So they are six and seven. Oh, man, this is a huge one. Yes. This, this is, is huge for that. By the time this podcast is in your feed, you will have a better idea where Joe's standing on this one because they have Dallas next week. That's going to be a tough one for them.
16: Yeah, and I, they need this one. if If they want any chance, they need this one. Yeah. You had that one. You had the Arizona Cardinals under eight and a half wins. So that's another loss. Yeah. Well, I didn't think they'd play as well as they've been playing, but now they're starting to crumble. So yeah. yep, take that loss. And the last
1: one, the Cleveland Browns over ten and a half, which that one was clinched as a loss this week because of the COVID.
16: You know what? I'm tired of Browns. I'm tired <laughs> of buying to hope. I'm a sucker. Yeah. I really want the Browns to be good for some reason. And like, they just can't figure it out. Look at Odell Beckham Jr., right? Like, the, the Browns couldn't figure out how to use him when he was on the field. And, like, the guy goes to the Rams and already has been more productive in, what, three games? Yeah. It's crazy. For sure. Now let's go to my ones here, which I'm having a
1: better year so far. So I have one win on the board. I took your Packers over 10 and a half. They for me on Sunday. Yeah, well, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> I have a loss coming. It's a matter of when it happens. the Patriots under nines. So right now, it's a push. Well, they're going to win one more game for sure, and I'll have a loss there.
16: Oh, absolutely. That was a that was a tough one.
1: Yeah, I was, I thought it was looking good when they were two and four, and then everything changed after that.
16: Then uh, Mac Jones and Bill Belichick decided yeah. to you know turn it up a turn it up a notch or two. Yeah.
1: yeah, this one could come down to the wire too. I have Kansas City over twelve and a half wins. I was dead at about November, and then they haven't lost since.
16: So I'm still in play for that. Well, the one thing that's definitely helping Kansas City at this point is the way that their defense is playing. Yeah. So they, they have to rub the tail for me to get that one, otherwise I lose it.
1: Next up here, one I – another one will come down to the wire. One I'm anticipating losing here, the 49ers under 10.5 wins.
16: I think that comes down to the wire too.
1: Yeah, because that one, I think they're 8-6, and six, so I need one loss to get it. But I don't know if I'll get it because they're playing well. I, they're playing really well.
16: They're one of the hottest teams in the NFL.
1: Yeah, I got a big A last night. Secured at least a push. The Raiders over seven. They're now at seven with three weeks to go. You got real lucky with the COVID. <laughs> yeah, I did. That's I would not have won that game I think the Browns are healthy.
16: Yeah, yeah, I don't think you would have either. And but last... I did. I did take. I took the early early line. Yeah, the... of the Raiders when it was at uh, plus one. Yes, yeah, so that's a good. Good job by you. You got the you got the W there. Yeah, I got the W there. i have yeah. been getting a lot of W's against the spread, Mike. Yeah.
1: And last but not least, this one I'm going to get. I don't have medium, so with me, I have the Giants under seven. They're four and ten, so it's just one more loss I haven't done.
16: Yeah, yeah, I think you're saying pretty, pretty.
1: Yeah. I I just, I still can't believe that one, by the way, that the Giants, in their infinite wisdom, thought that the season C- C- ticket, hold on, their reward for fan preaching There is a medium soft drink.
16: Yeah, that's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, if I was a Giants fan, I would just not show up yeah. after that. What? Like, that's what you get for fan appreciation, a medium soft drink.
1: Yeah. it couldn't even give you, like, a towel or a hat, like, a soft drink.
16: Like, you have that much money and you're going to give out soft drinks. That, even- that's, that, that's as embarrassing as it gets. Like, that's as – the minor leagues give out better, you know, have better promotions on a consistent basis. You're the New York freaking Giants, man. That is so That that was abysmal. If I'm a Giants fan, I'm not showing up at all. Those seats should be empty. And to and make it even better,
1: it's not even that all ticket holders got this free soda. It's only if you had PSLs, you got the free soda.
16: Oh, so, hey, thanks for spending so much money on watching a garbage franchise and a garbage product. Here's a free soda.
1: Yeah, yeah. You can gulp down okay. your – Gulp down that Pepsi while you watch while you watch your team lose 10, 10, 10
16: games five years in a row. You know what I wanted to I want to be a fly on the wall in that room when the decision was made. Hey, we're gonna give out a free soda. Who silly. says? Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. I want to know who said yeah. That's a good idea because that person probably shouldn't have a job.
1: Yeah, and I have to say also I think I wonder if John Mayer taking phone calls from Jeff Wilpon. That's something the Wilpon Mets would have done.
16: I mean, uh, this – I think we've gotten to the point where it's a complete overhaul for the Giants. Uh, it feels like they've been rebuilding for years, but, uh, I mean, it's it's only going in that direction.
1: And the worst thing is you're a Giant fan, I think, is the fact that, like, it sounds like they're going to h- either hire from within or hire one of Joe Judge's friends to be the GM, which means nothing's really going to change. They're going to try and go down the same path they're going on.
16: I, it, it That will be an absolute disaster. Yeah. It really
1: yeah, well, my team's not much better. I will say that.
16: Yeah, the Jets, I mean, I'll be honest with you, Mike. Uh, Sunday was the first time that I actually watched a Jet game, and I was texting one of my buddies, who's also a Jet fan at the time, and I said, man, how do you do this on a week-to-week basis? It was yeah. brutal. Brutal to watch.
1: At least they are starting to score some points. The Giants are averaging about 12 points a game for the last, like, six games.
16: I mean, I guess there's a silver lining to everything, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, well, I have my own issues. I'm not going to get into them right now, but we'll get to the pitch, which is the reason why you're here for this week. Our good friend Sandra Rose was here last week and she went one and two on the week. She had the Steelers getting the point and a half against Tennessee. They won the game out right there. She took her Jags hoping for the Urban Meyer bump. Then you get fired, laying the three and a half, they ended up getting blown out there. And she took the Chicago Bears plus three last night. I don't know what
16: the motivation was for that pick, but it didn't work. Oh, love. Those are those are some interesting games to pick right there. Let me tell you something, Mike. Over the last two weeks, I've been six and all on my picks on the season. And I, I pick on the Sharp Charter podcast three games a week, 28 and 17. Yeah, You're doing much better than I am. Which you know what that means. Yeah. I'm going, I am due for the biggest goose egg of them all coming up. And it may be this week.
1: Yeah. I will tell you, my year has not been as strong because I've been basically alternating one and two and two of ones for like the last like six, seven weeks. And last week was a two and one week. So I was riding with Sam with the Steelers plus the point and a half. I got that one. I had the Bills uh, laying the ten and a half against Carolina. I won that one very easily, and then I had the disaster pick. I thought it was a gimme. I had the Buccaneers laying the ten and a half point on Sunday against the Saints.
16: Oh my God! Yeah, I thought that was that was a gimme too. I I, I was shocked that that it was a goose egg there. Yeah, can, goose egg.
1: Yeah, goose. Yeah, it was a goose egg,
16: and without all their guys, they stink. Brutal. You don't have to tell me because, again, uh, I know nobody cares about anybody else's fantasy team, but I had Tom Brady as, as my starting quarterback, and I had Alvin Kamara as my running back, RB1. So you could only imagine how many points I scored
10: this week.
1: Yeah, well, speaking of the fantasy teams, before we take, take, a quick, take a quick detour here, it's like my team is in very addled by the COVID this week. I lost Jalen Wild the COVID list. I lost Tyler Lock in the COVID list. I am still alive sometimes. My opponent's team has stunk I am going into Tuesday night. I have three guys. I'm down like f- something. I got. I'll pull the exact score up for you and tell you what my situation is here. And you give me my your odds assessment here. So now is this
16: PPR or, full, or ha-
1: half, PPR. half PPR? Okay. So this is the matchup right now. I am losing seventy eight oh five to thirty one fifty. That tells you how bad the week has been.
16: Jesus, I thought I had a bad week with like fifty something, but. Yeah. You had 31 points this week? Out of seven players so far. Jesus.
1: Oh, other than Dalvin Cook, the only guy above three, nine is my kicker. You
16: had the worst fantasy week.
1: I think you win this one. But I still I still have a shot at winning this one, crazily enough. Who do you have left? I still have, have Jalen Hurts tonight. I have Terry McLaurin tonight. And I have the L.A. Ram defense tonight. And what's the score? I am down 47. The other guy has Antonio Gibson.
16: Man, it's going to be close, Mike. Yeah. It's going to be close. I don't know if you hit that 70 mark, Mike. Yes. I
1: really don't. I, I was expecting a loss once I saw the guys hit the COVID list. So the fact that you we even in here is a positive.
16: I, I mean, I, I guess, yeah. Wow, you, your team really got hit hard. Wow. I, I Honestly, I didn't think there would be a person that had a worse week than I did. But you may be that person. Unless you get to sixty and then you beat me, and, and, so.
1: And speaking of guys who killed me, Mister Lazar dropping the two touchdowns was a big
16: problem. I was even want my last minute pickups to fill the spots. Well, that I lost. I'll tell you what, one of that, both of those, both of those drops, both on Rogers. Yeah. I mean the uh the first one he oh, he nearly brought that in with one hand. Yeah. That was really close. That would have been a hell of a play to make. Uh, the second one towards the end of that game, man, he just missed them. He was wide open. Though. He's got to make that throw.
1: All right. So to reset the picks here on the year, Teen is 18, 26, and one. They've not been anywhere near as good as you are on the Shop Chart podcast. Jesus Christ. Who you got picking these games, Mike? I, I do hey, they make reasonable picks. Most of the time they flop. This year's been a mess. No, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. I'm just 23 and 22. I'm not much better. Uh you're there though. You're in the green. I've been basically between the green and right at the black.
16: I have not gone red for a while. That's important. Red is bad.
1: All right. Let's go ahead. Let's get to the picks here. Let's start off week number 16. Joe, since you are the guest, you can go first. Where are you going to pick number one?
16: Okay, pick number one. I am going to stay with the Colts. At plus two, as you mentioned, playing on Christmas, that Christmas evening matchup against the Cardinals. Um, I like what I'm seeing with the Colts. A big win against the Patriots, who have been one of the hottest teams in the league. And this whole second half of the season, I thought, I think is. Colts team has been playing excellent football and they have a recipe to make a deep run if they continue to win Uh, with that run game with that defense and unfortunately for Arizona it just seems like things are heading in the opposite direction and I don't think it gets much better it only gets tougher and call me crazy I think Arizona may lose out their final three games so I like the Colts in this one considering they're getting points so give me the Colts plus two. Colton
1: and Goodness here. I love that pick.
16: I think they've been great. I mean, uh, again, when you have a guy like JT that could run the way that he does and an offensive line that opens up um, opportunities for him, man, that, that could be a, a good combination. I think they're going to do everything they can to keep Kyler Murray off the field. And if that offense is off the field, you're sitting pretty. All right, that's pick number right. Where are you going to pick number two? Pick number two, I think this is a classic bounce back week. For the Buccaneers, I'm taking the Bucks minus 11 in this one going up against the Panthers. The Panthers are a shot, man. They're, they're not playing well. Um, but now it's two weeks in a row for the Bucs that they haven't really put the hammer down. And I understand they won't have Chris Godwin. Should be getting back Antonio Brown, probably without, uh, I believe, Leonard Fournette, too. Uh, with that being said, though, Brady needs a big time he needs a you know a nice kick in the mouth for the opposing team and he's probably going to be able to do it twice against the panthers since they play them twice in the five three weeks which i hate but i don't care that it's double digits i don't care that it's 11. i like the points the bucks minus 11. yeah
1: i can't go with you on that one because for me it's like i got burned by him last week because all the guys get hurt numbers too bad that's the. i think they're going to win the game I just you guys can't take number
16: yeah, I, I just don't think it's going to be that close considering what you're getting out of the Panthers. All right. Where are you going with pick number three? Pick number three, I think I have a similar philosophy as the Bucks. I think Bill Belichick and Mac Jones bounce back against the Bills. I think the Patriots are the better team, minus two and a half. I think they win by at least a field goal, and that's all I need from them. I like the Pats, minus two and a half.
1: Yeah, for me, it's one like I don't have a great feel for the game, is so why I'm staying away from it, but I can definitely see the logic.
16: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a divisional game. The Bills could end up beating them by by 10 points. Who knows? But um, I just, the logic going into it, I don't want to overthink it. I think this is a perfect game for Bill Belichick to get and Mac Jones to steer the ship back in the right direction.
1: All right, so you're on the board. I'm up now. Pick number one. I was going to play this week. I'm doing two dogs and a favorite. And the favorite is actually the New York Jets and laying the two and a half points against the Jaguars as we get home. First time the Jets have been favored all season. Jacksonville is bad. Jacksonville cannot score the football at all. The Jets are getting some guys back. They're getting healthier. They played pretty well for the first half against the Eagles and the Saints, and they fell apart down the stretch in each of those games, including last week against Miami. This is a spot here I think the Jets are gonna put up a big effort. I think they're gonna win this game outright very easily. And I don't think the Jacks have the kind of defense that can slow the Jets down and make adjustments like they did. I think the Jets are gonna win this one by at least a touchdown and knock the draft pick down. So I'm gonna wait two and a half of the Jets.
16: Yeah, no, see, that one scares me a lot, Mike, because I know the Jags have been horrible, but you just never know what you're going to get from that team. Yeah. Right, like, they're terrible. They also beat the Bills. Yeah. You know, like, could Trevor Lawrence just go off this week? Yeah. I mean, if I'm a Jet fan, like, do you really want to win this game?
1: No, I'm just telling you, I have a strong feeling they're going to win that football game, and I don't need more than a field goal to cover it.
16: Yeah, I, I, I see that logic, but... Uh, I wouldn't touch your skin. This is too bad, team but Now, if you want to talk about taking the under on this one, I kind of respect <laughs> that a lot more,
1: but oof. All right, that's pick number one. Pick number two, I'm going to ride with you on the Colts, making a family play here, take the plus two. I think that's, as you say, it oh. sums up perfectly. I think this is a great spot for the Colts. They run the football with Jonathan Taylor. Arizona's fading here. I think this is a spot where the Colts play very well. I think they are doing an excellent job here down the stretch. I think they have an outside shot at the division, too, because Tennessee isn't fading without all their guys. And, again,
16: plus two, outright win. I love the Colts. Hey, if they lose this game, you're the mush. I'm letting you know right now. I'm blaming Mike Phillips if the Colts don't come.
1: All right, so that's pick number two. Pick number three, I'm going to bet on this team. I feel like they've been so close three weeks in a row. I think they're due for a win. They're desperate. I'm taking the Ravens getting the two and a half and Cincinnati gets the Bengals. I know these teams met in week seven. Cincinnati blew them out 41-17. Baltimore should have three more wins. They have three missed two-point conversions basically doomed them the last three weeks, including last week with Tyler Huntley basically keeping the Packers right on their heels until the end of the game here. Cincinnati, Uh, Cincinnati, big spot. I totally see the logic there. Yeah. Yeah, plus Cincinnati, big spot. This is a must-win game. You want to stand on top of that division. The whole thing is tight. This is as much pressure as I've ever experienced this late in the season for this young crew. I think Baltimore up to the challenge. I'm getting two and a half points to boot. So give me the Ravens last pick of the week.
16: Yeah, I mean, I think this is this game is very similar to the pats Bills game in terms of a betting standard.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I trust the Ravens more. Than I do the Bengals right now, even with their struggles recently.
16: Absolutely. I, I don't. I don't see that as a bad pick at all.
1: All right. So reset the picks here. Joe is taking the Colts plus the two on Christmas night against the Arizona Cardinals. The Bucks laying 11 against the Panthers. And the Patriots laying two and a half in the AFC East title game against the Buffalo Bills. I am riding with Joe on the Colts. We're going plus two there. I am taking my Jets laying a two and a half against Jacksonville on the day after Christmas. And the Ravens getting two and a half. And those are your picks for week number 16 here on the podcast. Coming up next week on the podcast, I'm actually gawking to... A Viking fantasy for the first time. We joined my friend Joey Castellano. We're going to talk Packers Vikings next week.
16: Oh, God. I ain't listening to that podcast. <laughs> you know, I'm messing with you. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Vikings have been an interesting team. Kirk Cousin looks great on Monday night, uh, throwing for 87 yards.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And Kirk Cousin, my other quarterback option in fantasy this week. I said, I'm not playing primetime Kirk.
16: <laughs> oh, you don't want to play primetime Kirk. I'll okay. Stay far, far away.
1: Yeah, so for me, it's like I just wanted to also talk to the Viking fans because they've been the cardiac team of the NFL all year where last night was a rare game for them where they actually, like, didn't make this interesting late.
16: Yeah, and surprisingly, like, the Bears could have made it interesting, but the Bears just stink too, yeah. so.
1: Yeah, and they also, but the defense from the officials too. The refs were so bad in that game.
16: Oh, my God. It was so inconsistent. It was so bad.
1: Yeah, I think like the one. I think the viking second touchdown drive, the wrestlers basically walked them down the field, which is not what you want to see. No, it was brutal. It was brutal, unacceptable, for sure. And Joe, thanks for all the time. Really appreciate. It. Before I let you
16: go, I'll be follow you on Twitter and keep up with the Sharp Cheddar Podcast. Yeah, give me a shout on Twitter at Joe double underscore. Do not forget the double. Don't forget it. D a l o i s i o Sharp Cheddar Podcast available on all podcast platforms. Mainly focusing, obviously, on the Green Bay Packers. But, of course, we do sprinkle in our picks throughout the season. So, if you don't want to listen to what I have to say about the Packers and their upcoming matchup or hear me recapping it, then just fast forward to the end of the podcast and i give you my picks. And, you know, if you've been following me over the last two weeks, you probably were able to get that significant other of yours a, an extra Christmas gift or mom or dad an extra Christmas gift. And if you haven't, well, it's never too late to start, but I can't promise I'll continue to be as hot as I am. To be fair, following you is more profitable than following me this year at the Picks. I mean, 28 and 17, 6 and 0 over the last three weeks. Uh, two weeks, excuse me. I'm in the green. Yep. I have some I have some wiggle room. I mean, I could realistically go 0 and 6 the next two weeks, and I'm still in the green. Yep. Let's hope not. Could happen. Let's hope
1: not. Though. Yeah, let's hope not, Joe. Thanks for all the
16: time. Happy holidays mike happy holidays as always thanks for having me on the podcast can't wait to do it again soon
13: <laughs> chewbacca heads home for life day the empire causes trouble on kashik nothing makes sense as the sky guys are back to recap the star wars holiday special
1: We are back here on the Just Under Suffering podcast holiday special, and it's been a year of Star Wars on this podcast. We went through the entire Star Wars anime catalog. You heard earlier this week, we did the preview for the Book of Boba Fett. Our weekly cover starts next week, but we wanted to give you a special holiday present where we're going to have some fun. We went back and watched the original Star Wars holiday special from 1978. First up, joining me today, the man whose voice you just heard in the narration, as he is
13: every time, Pete Considori is here. Pete, how are you? Doing great. We're talking Star Wars, as we have all year long, and I, we're going to keep going, it sounds like. yeah. So, always great to be on the podcast with you boys. So, glad to be here. Yeah.
1: Also with us today, I will say he's the itchy to our lumpy and Chewbacca, uh, Nick Frietta is here. Nick, how are you?
14: Doing great. I uh, can't wait to talk about this great special that we are so blessed to watch. So, <laughs> happy to be on, and going to be great to discuss it.
1: Yeah. So, just to recap, here we are watching the original Star Wars holiday special, and back aired back in 1978 on CBS. On I think early in mid November, they aired it once. It has never seen the light of day again. We found it on YouTube. We watched it on there, and we can see why because it was pretty bad, Nick.
14: Yeah, it was. It was awful. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I want to be like devil's advocate like play devil's advocate a little bit and try to tell you it was good but no it was awful the only thing i did enjoy about it i gotta say is it was just nice to see the original cast again yeah In something else that wasn't like one of the movies we got to see harrison ford and mark hamill and carrie fisher like together and that was cool again
1: yeah and pete general thoughts before i give a little history on this thing
14: yeah
13: so i have three questions first question what the f- <laughs> second question, whose idea was it to allow Carrie Fisher to sing in this freaking thing? And number three, why does Chewbacca have a wife and kid in what seems to be a very modern household? <laughs> uh, those are my three questions. Like Nick said, terrible. Yeah, absolutely terrible. We're going to get into it. All right. So let me give you
1: a little history. Of this thing. it's from the wiki page here. Well, outlining the original Star Wars is playing potential sequels. George Lucas imagined a film about just Wookiees, nothing else. As the film's original success, the cast went on a couple variety shows. The idea for a holiday special was born. George Lucas was too busy moving the production company, so he was not heavily involved. They got handed off to a couple of people, and CBS produced it. They brought in variety show writers and producers, and they went through a bunch of ideas. It was really bad, and certainly told, Everybody's so ashamed by this, Nick, that they never let this see the light of day again. It has never aired in any form or been released on home media after the original release.
12: I
14: mean, I am a little surprised by that. I mean, it it doesn't deserve to be seen again, but it is a little surprising that it's, like, not possible to find it, I guess, unless you either recorded it on tape that night, which I do not even know. was Was that even possible back then in 1978? Maybe Betamax? Or if you find it on the internet, that's the only way to get it, I guess. Which I do find a little interesting, but I mean, not surprising.
1: Yeah, and Pete, I will also say for this guy, like I think it's interesting. I found out this is that Disney Plus actually released the Boa Effect cartoon, uh, that from the holiday special, the Tale of the Faithful Loki. That's actually on Disney Plus right now. You can go watch that there. But everything else has never been seen. All the live action stuff has been basically buried in history.
13: I just. I guess I just don't understand how their acting could have gotten worse. I just, I feel like you know, you look at the, the original, trilogy, like you look at the the original trilogy, and of course with like special effects and everything like that, you're like, okay, obviously it's not what it is today. This special, like the best actor or actress in this was B. Arthur. Yeah, like that's a problem when you have Star Wars cast, the original Star Wars cast performing worse than if it almost felt like a Saturday night live skit, almost like they only did like one dress rehearsal and just said, screw it. We're filming the thing. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't even, yeah, I don't even know what to say. I mean, the cartoon is the only thing that was good that came out of it. So it makes sense that DZ's like, yeah, we'll we'll have this be like a little snippet from like the seventies. Look, look what we had that you never knew about that. That's probably the the only salvageable part of that whole hour and a half dumpster fire yeah so nick
1: i knew we were in trouble i'd heard it was bad i knew we were in trouble when we started this thing and you see the millennium falcon cockpit it's the cheapest set i've ever seen to man it like they really put them in a room they put four levers in front of them a couple of buttons it looks nothing at all like the actual falcon set
14: Well, um, I agree. I knew we were in trouble early. I'm watching this thing, you know, the first 20 minutes or however long. I'm sure you can see if you get the timestamps on YouTube. But the first, like, 10, 15, maybe even 20 minutes, there's there's no words. It's all bookies. Yeah, and I'm watching it, and my fiance comes downstairs, and she (laughs) she literally, no hesitation, she goes, what the hell are you watching? (laughs) And I had applause to tell her, and she's like, she should pay you for this. (laughs) And I'm just waiting for the paycheck.
1: Yeah. Hey, uh, Pete, I know you have always been a big fan of those droid episodes on Clone Wars. I'm sure you love the 15 straight minutes of Wookiees interacting with each other without any human surprising or subtitles.
13: I mean uh, Do we put this up there with space whales? Like I don't even know. Like, like this is obviously this is- worse than the space whales, but but this was just why? I don't I don't like it goes back to my original three questions, but like I don't understand what the point of any of this was other than to see maybe as a, you know, as a kid in the seventies or, you know, as an adult in the seventies, I like star Wars, just to see the cast be in something different than the original star Wars universe. Right. Yeah. I, it just doesn't make sense, especially when you don't have subtitles. And I, granted, I don't know if subtitles were like a big thing in the seventies. Um, you know, I apologize if I don't have that, that knowledge, um, if someone from the seventies is listening can tweet at me, let me know if there were subtitles subtil- in like TV specials when needed. I don't know. Um, I-, I just don't know what kind of entertainment value that was supposed to bring. Yeah. The wife rookie was wearing an apron. <laughs> the kid was acting like a puppy that was scatterbrained that didn't know what the heck was going on. And honestly, the grandfather was kind of a creep <laughs> I'm going to put that out there. Kind of a creep. He is grief. So I- I, you know, I don't – maybe 1970s humor was, was a little bit different, but by God, that this was rough. It,
1: it was rough. And, Nick, I will also say here, for a special with the main cast, we saw very little of the actual main cast. Luke's in it for like two minutes. Leia's in it for a minute, then she sings at the end. Han's there for like five minutes, and then the droid's there for two minutes. The rest of it is literally just old footage and all the Wookiees and R. Carney.
14: Yeah, I mean, Absolutely. You don't see them at all. And I think that's just a way to draw the audience into whatever in God's name they're trying to do. But yeah, back to what Pete said a few minutes ago, I definitely noticed the acting was really bad. Like, yeah. it wasn't like acting was never the strong thing in Star Wars, it was never fantastic. It, like Mark Hamill was significantly worse in this than he was in A New Hope, significantly worse. And also, I noticed he had an enormous amount of makeup on. Yes, on his eyes, and it was like noticeable. Do you think they just like didn't
16: care?
14: Like they didn't care that much why they put so much makeup on? That's what I don't get. I don't know that much about like filmmaking. I don't really know, but. It just seems
1: nuts. My guess is that one, Pete's probably they were filming Empire at the same time. So okay, we you could have Luke for three hours. So here, throw some makeup on, throw him on a set with R two, and then we'll just record it and
13: bang bang, he's done. It, it's definitely a possibility. I I feel like they had to have had their resources elsewhere, right? I mean, where they only we, we, we lost it. <laughs> no, but like. They had to be filming some other Star Wars, like, what was it, Empire, around that time they were filming it? So, like, it makes sense. Like, they're not going to have the actual – they're not going to hold up the actual Millennium Falcon set for a holiday special. They're, You know, maybe Luke got the lines, like, six days before the holiday special and was like, okay, even though you have to do Empire, like, learn these lines for this. So it just was forced. I mean, it just seemed very – like, it was just very unprepared, just the whole production – I don't know how they stretched it to an hour and a half. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what kind of crap that was that it stretched to an hour and a half. They had to throw in concerts, which were terrible. I, uh, Yeah. Again, it, when B. Arthur is one of the better, like, parts of a Star Wars special, you know you're in trouble.
1: Yeah, and Nick, that was two hours of commercials. Like That was still two hours of CBS primetime programming.
13: Yeah, they kicked off Wonder Woman and the Hulk. <laughs> you guys that was ever the watched first thing that? Popped up on the YouTube. It's like the Hulk is not going to be on tonight because yep. we show you this shitty special. Like what? I don't.
14: <laughs> you guys ever watched that show? I'm sure you had. It's a great show. Dinosaurs. Yes, I've seen it. I think I believe it's on Disney Plus. Does it yes. remind you of that? But not good. Yes. Yes. I kind of I don't know what it is. Is it, is it the anime? And oh, there's no anime. It's live action. But you don't see the you don't see what I'm getting at, right? Like, yeah oh, yes. yes. All right.
1: So. Let's get into here a minute. The the plot of this thing. So basically the whole story is basically what Pete said, the narration that Chewie's trying to get home for life day. His his wife, his son, and his creepy father are waiting there for him to get back. The Empire shows up to cause some trouble. Art Carney goes and hangs out with Chewie's family for the rest of the thing. And we get to Poppins and the Rebels. Chewie gets home and knock out Stormtroopers. The end. And we took 90 minute plus minutes to do that.
14: Yeah. I mean... It was bad. <laughs> it was really bad. Yeah.
1: Let's go over some of the worst parts of this thing. I know, Pete, you were a big fan of the cooking sketch that we had uh, Chewie's Life Mala, like watching some alien Julia Childs cook a dinner, and then she was trying to do it, and then it was just awful. I,
13: I, I'm i at a loss for words for this whole special. Um, Terrible terrible part. I mean they're all terrible. I don't know in I don't know where they thought it was a good idea to have a Star Wars character sing. Yeah. Not saying Carrie Fisher did terrible, but why is Princess Leia singing a song where it looks like they're on Pandora? Like I what what exactly is the angle of this? We had a storyline, fine. You poorly executed, but there was a storyline. Then at the end it it just like oh well, this is what we do every life day. You're telling me that Princess Leia flies to this 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 under a tree stump wherever the hell they are to sing songs, and then have people walk out and like just fade away. What? What? <laughs> I, I have to. I have to say, I rather, I rather watch Zero the Hut than this. <laughs> I rather watch the Clone Wars movie then watch that again yeah i would watch i watch episode two five times before i watch this again episode two was bad we talked about it you want to watch that episode make sure you check out uh hi guys we we rank them check that watch
14: episode two than even the clone wars movie
13: yeah i'd rather see darth vader throw pickup lines at padme than watch this crap again yeah
1: yeah and nick i'll go to you first what was the weirdest part of this whole thing
14: I think it's back to what I said, how it reminds me of just like a TV show. It reminds me of like a bad TV show from like the eighties, nineties, like that time. I know it was in the seventies, but like that time, I can say the eighties, it reminds me of like a sitcom, but it's not supposed to be. Yeah. That's what I'm getting at is that's, that was the weirdest part. You are looking like the plot individually, like what was the weirdest part of it? It's the beginning, because I'm sitting there for 15 minutes, like, I'm pausing it every couple of minutes. Like, am I only 15 minutes in? Oh my God. <laughs> I'm only, like I like I have another hour of this. Oh, I another hour 15, whatever it was. I'm like, you gotta be joking. But I guess that was the weirdest part at the beginning.
1: Yeah. Uh Pete, how about your weirdest moment? Was it beside anything beside besides Carrie Fisher singing?
13: Yeah, so so the weirdest
14: moment All for the me, singing was weird
1: too. Yeah. yeah. So it so first. it's another
13: singing part. The weirdest part for me is when the creep grandfather goes into like <laughs> the adult chair. I don't even know what to call it. Like it just, it's, and they like beam this like fantasy of his, and this, this woman's like I'm adorable or some crap. Like, I was like, what? Like, yeah. no, this is, why is this going in this direction? on like public TV back in the seventies. Like, I don't, this is very risque, yeah. right? Like, and then she starts singing a terrible song. Yeah. Like yeah. this is, I don't know how this guy is getting any sort of pleasure from this, but this is like, it went on for four minutes. Yeah. I'm like this woman keeps singing. Just shut up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I wanna, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Pete, because that was definitely where I was going here, because that's the part where R. Carney shows up. He's a salesman in this thing. He brings them gifts, and he gives like Chewie's wife an apron he or something. He gives the son like a video disc, which is the Bo Effect cartoon, and he gives the father basically the equivalent of Star Wars porn, where he's sitting there having a fantasy about like Diane Carroll singing to him, and then I'm watching this one. I'm just sitting there just thinking, Come on and wrong thing, but that's sort of the musical outro I was thinking there with, with this thing, but... <laughs> This is what I, more of what I was thinking. I was going.
14: Oh my god!
13: <laughs> like it's made the air in
1: 1978. Oh, <laughs> he,
13: he might have. He might as well have just given him like a Playboy magazine. Like I don't. Like it, it was the same theme. Like it, you weren't getting around it. It was blatantly on screen. Yeah. I. Oh, so creepy. Yeah. So it was very cringe. It was just oh, just terrible. Uh, I yeah. keep saying terrible. It's so, like I don't know how else to. Dumpster fire. Like I don't know what else mm. to call it. Yeah, it's it's really bad. And Nick, let's get to the one
1: redeeming part of this thing. The Boba Fett cartoon is actually not bad. The Tale of the Faithful Wookie.
14: No, it, it, it proves me wrong on a number of uh, ways. I said in 1980 we were introduced to this character who didn't even have a name. We were introduced to him in 1978 and he did have a name. Yeah. So that's cool. That was Boba Fett's first appearance. He was cool in it too. Yeah. Actually, it was actually pretty good. I actually enjoyed that a lot.
1: Yeah. Pete,
13: did you like that part? I did. I mean, it kind of reminded me of like what we've been doing for the past year, like Star Wars taking characters from past shows and making them present. I mean, that's kind of what they did, right? They made a cartoon with Boba Fett, put him in a movie, but didn't really introduce him and stuff and fans that maybe would have watched that. See, you know special but like oh i know that character you know maybe they actually had that kind of aha moment like we do when we watch these shows so that that cartoon i, I don't know if it would be a redeeming quality because it, it's the I, only I redeeming quality it's the only quality oh, yeah. right it's just the, the only thing that was like worth anything and that's why it's the only thing on disney plus from that special
1: yeah i also thought it was a very simple plot where boba Fett tries to con the rebels into like help and to leading back to their base and i thought you know fine like,
13: yeah, cookie was, cutter sorry. Star Wars simple, you know, nothing crazy, nothing like out of the norm. And then you have Carrie Fisher singing at the end. So, yeah.
14: I like to think of it in a way. I don't want to say it's canon, but in a way, I like to think of it as like, remember in Empire Strikes Back? Now, I know we are told that Han has a history with the Bounty Hunters and Java and all that, but in Empire Strikes Back, when they walk into the room and you see Vader sitting there and Boba Fett. Han's, like, shooting immediately, like, oh, this is bad news if they're both here kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, he knows... Think of it as, like, oh, this is why Han knows that. I know that it's not really the case, because like I said, Han does have a history with the Bounty Hunters in Jabba, but I like to see the background with the group and Boba Fett.
12: Yeah,
14: and... Which it's not, but...
1: Yeah, I will also point a couple of things here. Number one, that cartoon was made by a separate studio in Toronto, and they sent it down to CBS as part of it, so they get bonus points are being not associated with this crap. So that's, that's obviously number one. And number two is the canon point until the Disney merger. This actually was considered canon in star Wars.
14: No, what wasn't right? No, this was the whole thing. No, I'm saying what wasn't, wasn't yeah. everything pretty
1: much. I think the books, all that stuff like this sort of went out of canon when they did the Disney merger. So,
14: so I need to, um, interrupt something that we're talking about, because it, currently as the time of recording, we are um, recording this on December 9th. The game awards are live right now. And as we speak, there is a star Wars game being premiered as a trailer. And I'm not sure what it is. Oh, and it looks really cool. Okay. So continue. You'll keep when an eye comes on that. up What the name is. I'm going to say what it is.
1: All right. Nick, keep an eye on that. And Pete, I will say this year also, I think the cartoon is good. But I want to throw also here. You mentioned that we had all sorts of like weird guest stars popping up here. Who was the most random cameo to you? Art Carney being the uh, rebel salesperson, uh, Jefferson Starship being like singing songs, or B. Arthur being in a Tatooine skit where she's singing people out of the bar.
13: You know, I'm not too versed in specials back in the '70s and '80s. I'm sure this was the cookie cutter template of what a holiday special would be, where you would get stars from that are popular from that age or that, that kind of time and bring them all together. So I, and you know, even musical stars. So like, I feel like if we were in the seventies and we were watching this live as much as the quality was terrible, it wouldn't be like so random to see maybe uh I don't know, a, a Jefferson starship or anything like that come out. But the musical performances were the, weird ones for me only because it's star wars yeah star wars with cameos obviously don't happen but at least they're just actors and actresses we had musical performances not only by musicians but also the actresses and actors in the special so that's what threw me off was the musical renditions throughout yeah
1: nick i will also say too i think the b arthur sketch where she's running the bar the cantina on tatooine and like She's singing "Good Night" to all the guests. That one was another one. where I was just sitting there, just thinking. What the hell's going on out here?
14: Yeah, that one sticks out to me individually. I, that one was like really weird. And you, I guess you, you had asked and like what the most surprising of like the cameos were. I guess her because she's the only person I've heard of. You yeah, know, well, really know much about like older actors and stuff. So,
1: yeah, R. Carney's phase in the honeymooners. So like
14: was who was he I've seen the show. He was who the was
1: he was the second main lead. Like he was like not he was the guy play opposite Jackie Gleason.
14: Oh okay. All right.
1: So they got having Madden was a pretty big deal.
14: Yeah. Um just also back to my point, the game was re- announced to be called Star Wars Eclipse. Interesting. So we will we'll have to keep our eyes on that and, game. Uh, it, it it's really on
13: Instagram cool. right now on Star Wars Instagram. Yeah. Definitely
14: will be worth yeah we'll we'll maybe we'll discuss that. Some point, some point
1: in the future, we'll discuss that one. But I also will say here, in terms of musical numbers, we had so many. Pete, what was your favorite one?
13: Do do I have to answer that? You can say the one you hate I, the least. I mean, the only one that, if you think about it, actually kind of fit. Was the creepy old guy one? I mean, but it was, but it was a terrible, so- like, none of them were good. <laughs> I, I don't, is that a serious question? Like, I don't even know. No, there's no, no, I refuse. There's no good musical anything in this ever. Yeah. And I do always does a better job telling a love story than putting music to their crap. So it's no. Yeah. It's one well, of the very few well, occasions. The the theme song and all the score of Star Wars is phenomenal. Let me let me yeah. clarify. I mean musical numbers where it's like Singing. hairspray or yeah. like high school musical, they, they don't work. So yeah. clarify that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And Nick, we'll throw it out here before we I think we're all agree. This thing is like probably like the, the worst piece of content we've ever consumed. Yeah,
14: I'm actually curious. So there's a lot of stuff on Disney Plus Star Wars that we've never discussed. Yeah. We don't ever will. Like the Lego stuff. I like the Lego stuff personally. I think Lego stuff's pretty cool. But like, like Forces of Destiny and Star Wars Resistance. I wonder if anything would come close to this. I don't think so. I don't know. I don't think so either. But it makes me wonder. Like, like I mean, I've, I've seen a few episodes of Star Wars Resistance. It, it's not. It doesn't come close to this. But oh my god, that's bad. Yeah, that's like another one where you're pausing every three minutes. Like, is it over yet? Like, oh, I'll see how much time you have left.
1: Yeah, it's funny, Pete, because the concept of Life Day itself, which in the original, which in the first Lego Star Wars holiday special, actually came
13: from this. So they did steal an element of this for it. I'm sure the Lego Star Wars holiday special was so much better. I I'd rather get a root canal than watch this again. I'm gonna put that out there. Rather go.
14: Did Did we discuss the Lego Star Wars one?
13: We have not. We only did the Halloween one where
14: we had... Okay, a, I definitely watched it then. Wasn't it like Ray in the throne room going back in time?
1: Yeah, it was Ray going, traveling through time.
14: Yeah. Yeah, I definitely watched that one. I guess I watched it last year.
1: Yeah, it was last year one, because this year we, we had a Christian Slater recruiting Kyle to a Biker Gang.
14: Yeah, yeah. Those, those are fun. I mean, Lego oh. does a great job. Everything Legos did, including Legos themselves. Like, Lego is a great... What do you call it? Like Product yeah i mean like what i mean is like they're not like i love lego don't get me wrong but i mean like their movies their tv shows like their their video games like that's part of lego it's fantastic it's a great brand yeah
1: yeah pete next year we'll do that one we won't we won't watch this one again
13: i mean if you ask me to watch this again i would just tell you no yeah i just wouldn't show up Uh, (laughs) it's fine i i would like to be on the podcast but if it's this again i'm sorry it's just not going to work out for me Alright, so, real quick before we go. Worst character in
1: this thing. We have a wide amount of choices here. So, Nick, I'll go to you first. Our, our LVP? Yeah, the LVP. There's no MVP uh, in this LVP,
14: thing. My LVP. I'll give you an MVP, and it is nobody. But my <laughs> LVP is got to be Chewy. I guess it's his son, right? Lumpy. Yeah, I mean, just from the first ten, the first ten minutes. Like, uh, uh, the thing, the thing sucks. don't get me wrong. The whole thing was uh, god-awful, but... The first 10 minutes really made it so, like, even if it was good, I would be like, I can't watch it because of how bad the first 10 minutes was. Like, if that first 10 minutes was good, I might have been fooled into, like, being okay with it. Like, if they did the Boba Fett cartoon first, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, like, that first 10 minutes with him not talking, I'm like, oh, my God. I was you would you had mentioned to us because you watched it first you had said something like uh, get a drink or something or get a couple drinks and I'm like see the thing is I watched in the morning though and that yeah. was a mistake because yeah. I, I don't personally I don't drink in the morning yeah so next time I watch something like this I'll make sure to do it at night so I can grab something to drink
1: yeah Pete Lee LVP we are all great there's no MVPs in this
13: the network for even production. letting this happen so we're, we're giving LVP a production just for letting this happen.
14: Well, Who's behind I, this thing? Is it George Lucas? No, he's not happy. attached
1: to this. He passed the buck on this one because they... Yeah,
13: I, he knew. He just, he freaking knew, man. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He's like, I don't want any part of this crap. I'm dealing with Empire. Like, the, whoever decided to make this live, they're the LVP. There's no reason why this should have been a thing.
1: Yeah. I'm going to go LVP because i for the fact that production is the, is the correct answer. I'm going to go with itchy because, as Pete mentioned, he's a perv. Like, literally, this father is the creepiest character in the, in the history of the Star Wars. Universe. Super creep perv. Super, super creep perv. Yeah. And with that, I think it's a good place to wrap it up here. We're going to come back next week. We're going to start our Book of Boba Fett coverage here. The premiere comes out on Wednesday, 29th. Podcasts will be out every week. I'm not sure the exact timing of the release date yet, but we'll work on that. Get them out to you I don't, pretty quick after the episode, hopefully. So we'll start here first, Pete.
13: Have you off? How can people follow social media? They want to keep up with you at PJ twenty nine Twitter. Um, again, hockey season. We're still in hockey season. Uh, but yeah, just you can follow me there if I haven't deleted every social media account after seeing this stupid thing. Yeah, you know, and I don't want any more random Star Wars things coming through my social media feed. <laughs>
9: yeah,
1: and Nick, people, I know you're not giving out the account just yet. So who is your holiday account to follow?
14: Ah, uh, my holiday account to follow. I guess you should be following at NY Giants to see how we, uh, how we change things around here. Because uh, looks, if my if the rumors are correct, it looks like we're going to be cleaning house and then replacing everybody with their assistants. So that'll be more of the same.
1: Hey, it could be worse. You could be forced to watch this thing again.
14: I would much rather that because I, it's an hour and a half of me just doing that as compared to signing myself up for four more years at least of being six and 11
1: all right that's all the time we have for this one guys thanks again i appreciate it thank thanks. you all right and that will do it for our holiday special i thank all our guests first of all, I thank nick days again for taking the time early this year to do that interview It was definitely a lot of fun well thanks sandra rosa for hopping on here to take a look back at the year in podcast a lot of fun moments for sure joe dalisa for doing the week 16 nfl picks and the Sky Guys themselves, Nick and Pete, for taking time to watch that horrendous Star Wars Holiday Special and spend a half hour talking about it. A lot of fun there. You like stuff like these pies? Click my review of Spider-Man: No Way Home. I got a chance to check out the movie. Check out my thoughts on it over at the blog justinsuffering.wordpress.com. Subscribe to these podcasts: Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering your favorite podcast platform. Final episodes there. You can also subscribe to the Sky Guys podcast feed. Remember, book a boba stars next week. We're going to have podcasts coming there for all the Star Wars content as well. If you get your feedback and star ratings as well, that with the podcast, even better going forward. You can also check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Video versions of these chats are all on the YouTube channel. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. You so follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-3-3-1. And that's going to do it for this week. Coming up next week, we're going to do our college football playoff show. We're going to do NFL picks. Some more surprises coming up. Mention the Book of Boba Fett. cover is going to be happening next week and more. Until then, have a happy holiday, everybody.
0: As we dream by the fire. The face unafraid. The plans that we made. Walking in a winter wonderland.